What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> Welcome to this special pre-season edition of the Livingston Experience. We're back uh, after a, a magnificent victory for the Milwaukee Bucks in the 2020-21 season. And I'm joined once again by the Bucks number one Australian fan in Darren Hill. And Daz, how are you feeling in the off-season? Are you still pumped about the Bucks victory or are you already sort of focused on the season ahead and uh, just hoping the Bucks can, can get over the hump again and go back to back? All the above, Daz. Yeah, it's pretty, obviously this is a new sensation for me. And I think with Giannis being Giannis and wired to constantly just, right, try to be a top 10 of all time player, there's obviously this huge sense of joy and relief. But now we're kind of like, kind of feels like we're playing with house money this year. Like we overcame and exercised all these demons, you know, Bud's demons and can Giannis win in the playoffs? And what if he meets, can he make free throws in the clutch? And can Middleton be the number two on a championship team? And do they have any, any bench? Like all these questions, right, that surrounded them for, for years has all been exercised. Winning a game seven in Brooklyn will do that to you. you know, and winning, you know, Giannis scoring 50 in a closeout. So but cut a long story. I'll make it really short. It's, I'm excited. But like this quiet confidence that even if this year goes a bit pear-shaped, you know, to one of the juggernauts like in L.A. or in Brooklyn, eh, you know, um, that might be a bit more palatable than when we got, you know, trounced by, by Toronto years ago. So all in all, well, Daz, uh, still joyous and actually quite looking forward to it. Well, having read Giannis's book, oh, I'm, I'm, I think I've got about 50 mm. pages left. Um, there's no more driven guy that I've ever sort of read about, uh, I think, in the history of the league in terms of, you know, maybe Kobe's up there with him. Like that's, that's the level of drive that this guy has. But I'm going to make a prediction, Daz. I think when he finally retires, I think he's going to go into coaching. I think he's going to try and win a title as a coach, win coach of the year. Then he's going to move to the front office. He's going to try and win executive <laughs> of the year, win a title there. And then he's just going to go, what else can I win? Like, where else can I sort of push myself and continue to um, to excel? Because this guy's just never going to stop uh, until he's the best at whatever he's taking on on board. And the competitive instinct that drives him is just, uh, you know, unlike almost any other star that we've seen, really. Um, it's it's quite fascinating. It's a brilliant book. I, I encourage everyone uh, to go out and get a copy of it. But there's no question in my mind, you know, Giannis would have celebrated that win for a week and then he would have been like, I want to feel that again. So let's get ready to, to go oh. again. That's a hilarious. I'll I'll draw a string to the the post game presser after the finals, right after game six when they closed them out. When uh, so funny you say that when they asked him, you know, what do you think, Giannis? He takes a deep breath and goes, "I wish I had a time machine, so I could go back and win Rookie of the Year, you know, <laughs> to collect them." Also, to your point, maybe Coach of the Year is is in his crosshairs. But um, um, I can't wait to read that book. I've heard I've heard every podcast about it. It sounds like a, it's a, a great human story there. And you're right, this drive, though, it's, it's kind of what's so fun as a fan as well. Like, it's, it's like opening a new toy, you know, on Christmas morning kind of every year with him. And, you know, certainly, I think even if they hadn't won that finals, what we saw from Giannis the last um, 
the last, well, certainly in Brooklyn, but even the last two rounds in particular, that, that he's found the next level and a peace within himself playing off ball and a confidence in a, a playing off ball and deferring to Drew and to Chris, et cetera. So that's a, like, wow, they did all the tinkering last year and all the changes on defense and Giannis off ball and Chris Giannis pick and rolls. And like, wow, now what? So it's kind of like this really exciting, what's now they can, can they consolidate and actually lift it up a level? So um, uh, yeah, feeling great. But as, as what happens with sport, uh, I, there's going to be no rest as soon as that game tips off in game one, Daz. I no doubt the competitive juices get flowing, and I'll probably not forget, but certainly that uh, the title will be properly in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I mean, I think it's nice for the Bucks, though. I, I sort of su- suspect that there might be some some talk. Oh, did the best team win? You know, should Brooklyn have won up with the Bucks a bit lucky? But there hasn't there hasn't been any of that sort of rhetoric, has there, around the sort of NBA Twitterati, which is. Yeah. is is refreshing, yeah. I think, from a fan's point of view, that just you don't sort of have that chip on your shoulder. You say, no, legitimate championship. Um, let's let's move on, though. Let's try and... Because once the playoffs start, you're going to be like, please don't let the Nets win. Please don't let the, the Hawks win. Please don't let the, you know, the Lakers win again or something like that. And it's going to be really focused in um, and you're going to be as hungry as you ever were um, no as, as a fan yeah. and, and no doubt for the players. So what we've done yeah. though, does in, in preparation for our pre-season um, preview is we've done our rankings of, of each conference where we think each team's going to finish in the regular season. And then we've got some player predictions. We've also got some players to watch. And then we're going to look at some league pass or the teams that, that are going to be on our on our radar as well. So we might sort of start that. So in terms of looking at the, uh, you know, how we've got each each conference ranked, maybe we'll look at, you know, where our major differences lie. And first of all, we've got a difference at the top of the East Conference. So we both had the t- same top four, but I had them ranked uh, I've got the Atlanta Hawks in the number one seed in terms of the regular season, then your Bucks to Brooklyn three, Philly four. Now you've gone Brooklyn, Atlanta, Milwaukee, and Philly. So why are you, where does the Brooklyn sort of thinking come from? And I'll, I'll give you my quick take and then I'll get and then I'll yeah. get your take. My take in terms of where Brooklyn sits, I'm assuming Kyrie Irving doesn't play a game this year for them, right? Now, that's mm. probably a little bit of hyperbole, potentially. Uh, but what I'm reading, I just can't see a scenario where they say to him, you're only playing away games and we're just going to slot you into the line up here and there and everywhere. And then when the playoffs start, you can only play away games still and all this sort of stuff. I just don't see how that's going to work. I think they'll send him away from the team altogether until such time that he's able to play all the games. And I have read some reports suggesting that's exactly what the Nets are going to do. And if that's the case, you're then putting a lot of pressure on Harden and Durant. I don't think either of them are going to hold up necessarily for an 82-game season. There's certainly going to be a bit of rest in there. And when either one of those rests, I think they're very vulnerable. So I just think that gives them a bit of a tick down in terms of where they seed in the regular season. Um, having said that, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm predicting the Nets to win the title overall, but I just yeah. don't have them ranked as highly in the regular season as you do. And you, yeah. of course, you're sort of giving Milwaukee the tick to go back-to-back uh, in, in the finals itself. But why, do you, why are you more confident on the Nets, I guess, from a regular season point of view than I am? So uh, probably two reasons. One is I don't think they need Kyrie. 
and I'm, I'm, I say it with a very dead straight face, I think because even if you get, say, 60-some games from Durant and Harden, that might be 60-some 60, 60 wins when they play. <laughs> I, re I really believe that. The level we saw Durant at in, in that series against Milwaukee in particular, Harden by every measure so far is, you know, he's trying to do all the right things and he's saying all the right things. And so I, I'll never give him full credit, but I will, I have to sort of say, he's acting and behaving in the way um, the Brooklyn front office would hope he would act and behave, yeah? Which is, um, you know, kind of more quiet. You're never gonna be a leader. This is Kevin Durant's team, but I guess quiet leadership, if you will. Um, so I, they're, they're scintillating and then that's, that's number one. Number two, Daz, the depth, right? When you can add a Millsap and an Aldridge and Blake Griffin, you got Patty Mills, you got Landry Shamit shooting, you got the Joe Harris's, right? They just have legit Bruce Brown, uh, Nick Claxton, who's super switchable. And Steve Nash can literally pick any type of lineup he wants. Does he want him to go switching? Does he want to go small and athletic? Does he want to have a transition team? Does he want to go a bit of drop and have a bit of big sort of set with James Johnson and Blake? He just has so many options. And I know he's only a second year coach, but I think that there's going to be a lot of hungry guys who are quality rotation guys who are going to make that team night in, night out. Hey, what if Kevin, Kevin and Harden rest on one night? I think they can still feel the team that would give the Charlottes, the Orlandos, the Clevelands, right? The Detroits, the, you know, the Pacers, the Wizards, they give them a bloody good run, Daz. So that's why I've got them pegged number one, um, just cranking out wins this season. Um, but then you probably might flash forward and it was part, I guess I'll, I'd sort of just part building a narrative, if you will, Daz, and just sort of going, what would be my highest drama um, sort of finals pick? And I've got, you know, Milwaukee and Phoenix in a, in a rematch just purely from the heart, if I'm, if I'm, if I confess, but I do think to a point you made, I question Durant's ability to hold up. So you got enough questions about Kyrie. I think if, if Kevin is out for any stretch of the playoffs and it's Kyrie and Harden, now you've got issues, I believe. I think that if, I think they are, they would not be title favorites if Durant is out, but you had Kyrie. Would you agree with that? If they had Harden, Kyrie and everyone else, but no Kevin oh, in a way no that question. that's a, yeah, I'm, no question. Yeah. I mean, they need yeah. Durant. If Durant's healthy and one of those other guys are there with him and also healthy, I think they're favourites. To win I the think title that's fair. Yeah, playoffs, I think right? that's fair. Um, but yeah. I, I think we're picking nits a little bit here too because I think it's very hard to separate Atlanta, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, uh, Philly. I think you're going to be another row below below that, depending on how this Simmons thing plays out. I agree. Um, in in the trade market, so you know it wouldn't shock me if if Brooklyn finished the, as the number one seed. But I'm factoring in, as I said, no games at all from Kyrie. And I think Durant or Harden, they're going to have an injury at some stage this year. Maybe they miss 10, 15 games plus the rest. And you might end up with 50-odd games of both of those guys playing. And that's a much different um, scenario. Yeah. They will only be worried about the plus. Like, they won't care about home court advantage. I mean, they've got no home court advantage there in Brooklyn anyway, really. They're not going to care about where they play, where they yeah. get suited. It's just get to the playoffs, have everyone healthy. And I mean, even if they're a six seed, for goodness sake, then that's not going to bother them one bit because they'll just say, if we're healthy, we think we can sweep through this whole conference. And obviously Milwaukee's the team they would be really fearing, I think. And I, I think the, the NBA title, to be honest with you, I think it comes down to it 
almost a two-horse race at this stage um, between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Um, I think Phoenix have, Phoenix and the Lakers have probably got some sort of a, a, a shot at it and, and, and an argument for it. Um, but the, the, they're the two teams that we are the sort of in the tier of their own almost as we start the season as, as Let me ask co-favorites. Question without notice on that one, though, I'm stealing, um, stealing my, my host's approach. If you had, to, as you entered this season, who, which player would you think, as it sits today, if you had to bank on, is going to have the deepest playoff run, just in terms of his own individual health and be most ready for a 16-win playoffs? LeBron James or Kevin Durant? If you had to place money on who's going to play, who's going to be the fittest and healthiest for a playoff run? Durant. Oh, no shit. Yeah, okay. So that's why, so I'm, that was my leading question morning. Is that part of why you don't consider the Lakers in the same tier as Milwaukee and Brooklyn? Well, LeBron's had two of the last three seasons, he's had significant injuries. Uh, he wasn't right in the last playoffs um, to me, as I said, the, the season before yeah. that. Um, obviously, they win the title, and then the season before that, he, he, he packs it in with, what, 40 games left or whatever it was. Uh, and, you know, he's 37 years of age now. Um, yeah. So, But Durant showed last year, he got through them playoffs, um, you know, he ran out of gas in the overtime of game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals. If his foot's not on the line, I think we can safely say Brooklyn um, are, are white-hot favourites to, to run on from there because Harden would have sort of got his legs back under him. Kyrie comes back and, and they probably roll from that point onwards. Um, so we've yeah. sort of seen Durant go through that. We saw Durant come out in the Olympics straight away after that and, and was the best player in the Olympics. I, oh, I forgot about go. that. Yeah. I, yeah, I almost forgot about that. I think I was so obs- uh, obsessed. <laughs> Oops, focused on Drew and then Crisp. I forgot, of course, Durant was there. He manned up and played, didn't he? Yeah. That's right. So, you yeah. know, LeBron getting to that stage in his career, I think where we're where he's finally showing signs he might be just a mere mortal. Uh, and, and there might be some sort of human DNA in there along with whatever else he's got going on, you know, because he's been amazing play the boot at the level he's has for so long uh, but last year started to show some signs of wear and tear and he just wasn't as effective in those playoffs um, as, as he had been in yeah. his past and I mean that was the ankle problem that was, that was an issue for him and obviously we know Anthony Davis's problems um, is staying on the court and who no one trusts Russell Westbrook once the, the, the yeah. games become more that's and more fair. important. So that's where, from a Lakers point of view, but certainly from LeBron, I just wonder, you know, how many miles is LeBron going to have to put on his odometer again just to get to the playoffs and then, um, you know, make, make it through that sort of 16 game grind. Whereas I think, I think Durant is more sort of set up for it, if, if only from the point of view of the age factor. And, and we just saw him do it pretty much last playoffs. And His ceiling is still number one player in the league ceiling, where I don't think LeBron's ceiling is, LeBron's ceiling is what number five best player in the league. I think it was, a, or whatever that number might be. I think that's what you're saying as well. The yeah, ceiling is right. there for KD. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. Let me, I want to, I want to go on record just with one thing. Um, and I'll probably, this will be the last of my praise for the Brooklyn Nets, hopefully for the season. But, and then I do want to talk about one other team in the East in particular, if you don't mind. But um, in the, um, uh, oh my God, media day, right? This was a few days back now, maybe even a week ago now. And of course, one of the first questions is KD sat down for his media day was, you know, Kevin, you know, what do you, what do you, how have you, how have you, t- uh, how have you contextualized or what do you make of last season and how that ended 
you know, coming into the season? And do you have regrets? And how, are you bringing regrets with you, you know, that your toe was on the line? And, you know, that was probably the difference between you winning a title. And he's like, title? What are you talking about, title? He goes, man, I played to play f- f- every single minute for three games. And I, could, and I couldn't do it. And he goes, I had nothing left in the, in the, in the in overtime. So when you say something like winning a title, it's just, that's, that's not realistic at all, man. That's not realistic. And in that moment, Daz, and I, I just, in that moment of just complete, just very flat, as a matter of fact, shrugging off that question, I, I got to say, Daz, my, my respect for Katie rose significantly, where you were probably Daz and Daz back in the day uh, on Fueled by the IPA, no doubt, would have had how many rants about <laughs> the child and the, the decision, the decision number two and, you know, yeah, the coward running off to the 73-win team, et cetera, not playing with joy, miserable, blah, like blah, blah, blah. Actually, I look at KD and the way he handled both the press conference after they actually lost to Milwaukee and then coming back into the season when, they, when the writers are, are so desperate to weave this narrative, oh, the toll on the line is the only reason that you guys didn't win a title. Now, Kevin Durant probably win the respect of his peers, right? Bucks fans included, and, and obviously players to go, that that's bloody nonsense right meaning we gave everything we had and it was actually wasn't good enough how on earth do you think you think we're going to made it through two more rounds so anyway tip of my hat to kevin durant for um for not doing some jason tatum or lebron james self-important martyrdom you know around that question so that's i, I just wanted to say that yeah, well, I love the last point of Durant. I love what he did in the Olympics as well, like being the going there, being the best player. But the defense he was able to play um, in that series as well just shows you the level of um, impact that he has uh, at both ends of the court. He's right at the top of his game now, and you've probably got another year or two of this level of Durant, um, which Brooklyn would hope to take full advantage of. Um, and, and and when at least I, I mean I think their title window is going to be the next two or three years really, um, so they'd be hoping to win at least one title, hopefully two, uh, in the next few years before you know they they move on to whatever the next chapter might be um, without you know KD Harden and, and Kyrie. Yeah, and as if you don't mind, I just pulled up. I think I didn't highlight it here on our on our sort of homework sheet, but. I find interesting, if you don't mind shifting gears, to talk about the Hawks a bit, because I just pulled up, uh, I think this is sports bet or points bet, you know, one of the uh, Vegas over-unders. And Daz, they've got the Atlanta Hawks as the basically the 11th best team in the NBA in terms of expected over-under. Mm-hmm. They've got six teams in the West and four teams in the East, Daz. They basically got Atlanta as the five seed, a game ahead of the Celtics in the East. But <laughs> you and I both have them one and two right in the conference so what's what's behind your going smashing the over as it were on on the hawks well i've looked at a lot of these teams and i say look for example we've got boston right now boston you know linked into the playing game um got through the playing game got smashed in the playoffs last year right so that you know, even you, you've got Boston Celtics as, as a five seed this year. And I think, well, if they're going to be a five seed, they've got to improve on what we saw from them last year. And I can't, and we can get the Boston later, but I can't see where the improvement's going to come from for that mm-hmm. team. With Atlanta, there's a lot of sort of baked in, well, they're going to regress. They're naturally going to regress back from, you know, the, the five seed that they were, or maybe they'll be about the same. But you've got to look at it from the point of view, when Nate McMillan came in, they're the best team in the NBA in terms of their record. Uh, and they made a playoff run 
on top of that to go to the Eastern Conference Finals and push the Bucks to six games. And I mean, if, if you know, Trey Young doesn't tweak his ankle, who knows? They might have made the finals uh, in that situation. Although, obviously, you, the, the caveat that Giannis was injured as well on the other side of the court. So, really good play, like a fantastic end of the season, really good playoff run. And DeAndre Hunter didn't play. Cam Reddish only came in at the end of that Bucks series and looked very good. It, you know, is there some untapped potential? We know that the Hunter certainly are going to be a, a major contributor here. What are they going to get out of the Reddish? I just, and, I, and I think it's a young team that's going to stay on the court. They're going to be ready to rumble for 82 games. I don't see where the regression is going to come from other than sort of an injury out of nowhere that we're not expecting. Because I expect most of this team to be ready and available for all 82 games or thereabouts. There'll be a few rest games here and there. I don't think they're going to need to be looking at resting players as much as the, the Brooklyn's, the Milwaukee's and the Phillies. Uh, and I think they can roll on and, and be pushing up around that sort of 60 win plus um, range, uh, you know, uh, yeah. come come the, uh, come the season. Because I mean, even Trey Young, like his free throw percentages were down. His three point percentages were down a little bit last year. He battled a few injuries as well. Like, I think I think you can probably expect a better season out of him. You throw Hunter and Reddish into the mix as well. I only see this team getting better overall from what we saw from them last year, not worse. I don't see why there's going to be regression um, with this team from what we saw in that latter part of the season in the playoffs. So that that's my argument for Atlanta. Yeah, mine's similar, which is I also think maybe it was baked in what you said, but my, my sort of one-line summary on the Hawks is you're going to get a team playing 100% effort 100% of the time. This is like of the Milwaukee two years ago, right? I think they're a bit of a, they're kind of accelerated their timeline where there's just not going to be nights off. They have no reason, right, to take nights off and not go Giannis-like balls out circa 2019. That's what I think. You've got too many guys bogged on trying to prove his worth. You've got, right, John Collins, who's already trying to jump out of the gym and dunk on everyone's head. Trey, you know, when Trey balls, Trey balls. Right, Hunter trying to prove himself, Herder trying to prove his value with his contract, Gallo probably trying to, you know, maybe eke another contract out of his, you know, out of his legs. I just think you got a team who also just going to bring it. There's going to be no rest in them, is my point. You're going to always mm -hmm. have seven or eight guys in that rotation who are ready to go. So a rainy, cold Wednesday night in Detroit, you're not going to see the Hawks, you know, get beat by 28. That's my feeling as well. That's why I've got them pegged as well. Like that's my most obvious over if I did over unders in the league. A 46 and a half, I think, is ridiculous. So that team could win 56. Like they could be off by that could be off by 10. So I'm similar with you. Yeah, well, um, I think in the today's NBA where the regular season so many teams sort of just punted away, I, I think the fact that you go, know, this is a team that you, we expect to turn up every single night and bring yeah. their best basketball every single night, it's going to be a massive competitive advantage in the regular season. I think in the playoffs, obviously there's some other other things that you need to consider there. And I, and I wouldn't have them, uh, you know, as title favourites or anything like that. I'd be shocked if they won the title, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. And and clearly not not by the fact that I've got them ranked one um, if they finish as the number one team in the regular season in, in the East and maybe uh, across the NBA. Look, they don't have the defence, I think, to win. They don't have the interior toughness of the defense to beat an Embiid or a Giannis. I think we saw that last year. Well, I shouldn't say that. Oops. <laughs> Actually, they did beat Embiid, didn't they? But I, they're probably a special... Well, special, maybe they shouldn't have, but yeah. Yeah, um, special cauldron of um, 
you know, of witchcraft going on in, in Philadelphia, but which we probably don't even need to talk about. But um, that's my feeling. Perhaps I don't have the defense to get through a, a Brooklyn, say a Brooklyn or a Milwaukee, to be more specific. Well, the team, I, the team yeah. I've got marked as a team that I think is going to make a real run in the playoffs is Miami. And yeah. I've been in and out on this lineup. But I'll tell you what, Tyler Hero looks absolutely brilliant in the preseason. Now, I know it's only preseason, but this is a guy that regressed a bit last year and they would yeah. be hoping to see something from him. He's averaging around 25 points a game. Again, only in the few preseason games, but that that would be really happy for Spalstra to see that. They've got some young guys, Daz, who, and I mean, I only watched them against the Spurs, so obviously take it with a grain of salt uh, in a preseason game. But... Um, couple of guys that really just jumped off the screen to me um, in Struess, I think he is, Max Struess and Yurtseven. Um, I think the uh, Struess is from Germany and Yurtseven from yeah. Turkey. These guys, I think, can play and I think they can contribute. Um, both of them can get a bit of an outside shot and they're both quite athletic. So I think uh, Miami are going to be able to throw some young guys out there at different stages of the season when the likes of Larry, et cetera, are resting. Uh, to still stay afloat in the regular season, but they might also have some young guys in a player series that they might trust uh, to come in and, and make, make an impact as well. So I'm a bit higher on Miami. I've got them ranked six in terms of um, in terms of the regular season. Oh, sorry, I've got them ranked fifth in terms of the regular season, but I think they're going to make the conference finals against Brooklyn. Um, that, that Now, part of that is down to how I've got everything ranked and that Milwaukee and Brooklyn will meet in the semifinals again. But uh, I think Miami are going to be very tough out once the playoffs start. That's the that's what they're banking on, isn't it? And I think that's the they're banking on this. Um, they're banking on a defense to carry them. I mean, we got a, a Bam Butler, Tucker kind of anchor defense to the extent that Tucker, you know, has anything left in the tank after a, um, you know, a, a pretty grueling playoff run for him in Milwaukee. I think that's the that's. The, that's the mystery isn't it i just wonder i just wonder yeah it's just 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 so many variables there but it's hard to bet against Fulstra. but i can see the logic of them so you had them you had them beating atlanta in the semis then yeah you got in the yeah i've got them beating philly Milwaukee, atlanta in the semis and then up against brooklyn in the um in yeah. the conference finals yeah like, i think that's fair they've got enough internal development i think even guys like duncan robinson you know, they've just paid him to be terrific. And, you know, will he, you know, does he have another level if, if Hero's got some development? I think Bam is still, Bam's still improving, right? I love Bam. It's hard not to love Bam out of bio, although he was a bit of a shrinking violet against Milwaukee. Um, willing to give guys a pass if they have one bad series of a bad matchup. But I think there's enough internal development there to, for that to be logic. Um, I only had them, I think, number six. So I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, we're not gonna, that different. They're not gonna. They're gonna lose games in November and December like they do every year. They're not really gonna give a shit. Um, but well, uh, one team yeah. we have got different as is is the Celtics. I mean, there's only two positions different. But I sort of look at it and think, you know, where I've got teams seven through to eleven, yeah. I, I I can't. It's hard to separate them at all. I think they're all going to be in that sort of morass of around forty. You know, 39 to 43 wins. I think that's where you're going to sort of see a lot of those teams. You've got the Celtics as a five. I mean, that feels like they're, you're a bit higher on them than me. I just, I wonder, what am I missing? I mean, where do you see the improvement in this Boston team from, from what we saw last year? Well, I might be taking a little bit of a hit now because Jalen's still recovering from his wrist. So he's not, and he just got COVID. 
And so he's going to miss a couple weeks by the sounds of it. So that's not a, not a great. Well, start it sounds like he's vaccinated, though. So it's asymptomatic. He is. That's it's not very true. The, the same that's impact very true. that other guys have had. That's that's fair enough. But I, I don't know if his wrist is 100. percent I guess either. So that probably goes with that caveat. But look, I, I think what I'm I'm just banking on the probably the coaching tree, and I don't know them intimately, but Udoku's um, pedigree and his style. And I think what we saw over the period of years, which I know you and I are actually quite vociferous about, which was even back to the Kyrie era in Boston and then the Gordon Hayward in and out of the lineup stuff. And then last year, you know, most fans, Kevin O'Connor's included, kind of just shrugged their shoulders about this team and said chemistry. And I go, Daz, year after year after year, it points to coaching. And I go, Golden right by his own right stepping down or stepping up as it were out of there I think there's going to be a massive bump in the voice in the locker room because I think we've had multiple years of kind of same old same old there's a really clunky offense it just got no vitality to it um is way too dependent on you know on self-creation by by Tatum in particular and you know and, and increasing Jalen Brown neither of them very good passers I'm just banking on Again, without doing my homework about his his pedigree, his X's and O's, is just a massive coaching bump. And then the other part for me is, again, the versatility. And they've got options. And so now in the backcourt, where it's no longer relying on, you know, on Kemba and just waiting for Kemba to get back, they don't have a Kemba level or Kemba prime level talent, but a combination of, I guess, Schroeder, Josh Richardson, um, maybe Marcus Smart playing a bigger role. Um, the Peyton Pritchard, I think, looked really good in summer league. Looked like one of those guys who doesn't belong there anymore. Like he was that good in summer league. Mm. You know, options in the backcourt, Daz. And then again, options in the front court for Udoku. With again, I'm not saying these are world leaders, but between, you know, um, between Williams, who people are expecting a lot, and Al Horford and Cantor, again, these are not, you know, these aren't all pro players. Don't get me wrong, but they've at least got some predictable players. You know what they do really well. You know exactly what you get from Al, which is perimeter playmaking, high, 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 high IQ, intelligence on the defensive end in particular, and moves the ball on offense. And if they need some, you know, bench bruising to keep those bench lineups while they rest Tatum and just Cantor still can do that. He can get you 15 and eight on a night, right? So I just go, Udoku's got a lot of toys in the toolbox and that's what I'm banking on. They're just going to put them all together. That's really Well, what here's what I'm banking on. A lot of ISO ball and a lot of, all right, the true this turn. Okay, it's Tatum's turn. Okay, <laughs> it's Brown's turn. Like <laughs> Al Horford just stands in the corner. Maybe he gets the ball. Maybe Scratching he gets it in the high screen occasionally. Like that's what I see. But maybe to your point, maybe the coaching uh, makes a difference there. But I just think that's yeah. That's I, I, I just can't see where they're yeah, going to be look, better that's than fair. last year. That's fair. So I, that's what have been my headline is the most important player to watch is Udoku. If I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly, I apologize. <laughs> but um, Yudoka? Yudoka yeah. or Yudoku? Yudoka. Yeah. Yudoka, I think it is. Yeah. Yudoka. Yeah, that's right. My apologies. So, yeah, I'm banking on that. And that's why I've got them pegged probably a step above there, the five seed. And for similar reasons, I guess by default, right? I've got them ahead of Miami. I think Miami's just not going to win. They're not going to win lots of games in November, December, January. I think Boston, you know, probably is a step there. And I'm just not very high in the Knicks and the Pacers and the rest of the East. And I guess maybe the one, um, the other difference there, just looking at our sheet, is we got quite a gap in our expectations around the Bulls. Do you want to talk about them a little bit? 
Yeah, well, the Bulls for me, I mean, I, I had them as a six seed. Uh, I'll put them ahead of Boston. I mean, I think they're going to be a top five offense in the league. It's just the question is going to be just how bad is this defense going to be night yeah. to night? Um, I'll tell you, I mean, Zach Levine, we, we, there's often the sort of talk about the, the Olympics bump. Um, Zach Levine looked like peak Camelo Anthony when he went to the Olympics. Like He looked really good to me. And I think he's there's another level that he can get to. I think having DeRozan there is going to unlock parts of his game where he's not going to have to be the primary ball handler as much as he was. Uh, and he can play off ball a little bit. Uh, I think DeRozan's a really nice fit for this team, certainly not defensively, but offensively. Uh, Vucevic didn't play that well after he went there in the trade, but with a full off season to sort of get in, get in there, I think he's going to do well. They're well coached with Billy Donovan. Um, their bench is okay. It's certainly nothing, nothing to write home about. But I just think the offensive talent that this team's has, they're going to be able to put up. You know, Brooklyn's obviously going to be the number one offense we expect in the league. But I think Chicago, Washington, they're going to be sort of in that mix as well of teams that can really score a lot of points every night. And they're going to need to, those two teams, because neither of them are going to play much defense. But I think Chicago's offense is going to be good enough, particularly in the regular season where defense doesn't matter quite as much. Um, I think they'll be a very quick out once the, the off-season starts. But, uh, mm. but I, I think they'll, they'll push themselves up there in the sixth seed. Um, and, and they're another team, I think, that, you know, DeRozan never misses games. Zach Levine has stayed healthy now for a number of years. Vucevic has, has a long track record of playing a, a lot of games each year. So then there's no injury-prone players there. They're not guys that, that ever rest. I mean, DeRozan just never rested. Now, whether that was a Spurs thing or whether that's a DeRozan thing, I don't know. This is going to be another team similar to Atlanta that I think is just going to turn up and be ready to play every single night in the regular season because the regular season yeah. matters to the Bulls. They're going to be trying to push up um, into, that, into that sort of five, six seed range. Um, and, I, and I just think that their their flaws being raised by bringing in, and that's the that's the thing about Demar Derozan. He'll raise your floor to a certain level, uh, but he doesn't sort of raise your ceiling too much at the end of the day, particularly when the playoffs start. It just feels to me like a bit of the what was that core that when they had didn't they have Dwayne Wade for a while and Rajon Rondo? Didn't they bring a bunch of dinosaurs in? About three, four. About well, they four did, years but ago. they made. I mean, to be fair, they made the playoffs that year, and they were actually. Um, I think they were playing Boston and were ahead in that series and then Rondo got injured. So, you know... That's fair. They were defending. I, I guess my point is, though, that, um, again, the guys are younger. Two things I don't like about the Chicago cocktail, the way you describe it, is one is that you just paid Lonzo Ball a bazillion dollars to basically be Ricky Rubio on this team, right? Because guess what? Zach, when he passes the ball to Zach Levine or passes the ball to DeMar DeRozan, or throws it into Vucevic, that ball ain't coming back to him. And I go, question, why did you pay a, a playmaking guy like Lonzo, an elite transition player, right, an elite passer, what, to just run the point? And that's why I go, question, is Lonzo going to like that? Um, are they going to expect Lonzo to play off ball and do movements and come off screens when, when DeRozan or Levine are, are initiating? What, what's he actually going to do? Is it going to be Rubio-esque? kind of offense or are they can ask him to play off ball and run off screens and you know do pin downs and you know flare to the corners and play like a, a combo one two I don't know but I, that gives me a bit of worry um the second part is Des 
Kobe White, eh, is he a player? Lowry Markkinen, eh, struck out, dumped him, right? Wendell Carter, who probably had a lot of promise, but got, got leapfrogged, you know, had a bit of injury history, but then got leapfrogged in their desire to win now. Patrick Williams, the big um, number, what, he's number five or number six pick from last year. And again, bringing the vets around him this year, is he going to get edged out in minutes? I also go, what kind of culture are they building with the young guys here? And is that going to gel, you know, in a cohesive team when they've kind of swung and miss and, and um, are going to expect these bench, you know, these young guys to kind of not really developed, you know, just to play bench and supporting roles when these guys were drafted in the places in the draft. Well, they, my, you know, my prediction could, would be too, yeah. I think you're going to see a little bit, and the Spurs sort of did this a little bit when, when DeRozan was there, and the bench unit played completely different style than the, than the starters did. And you might see a little bit of that Chicago where Lonzo comes in with the Patrick Williams and the Kobe Whites and they play a bit more up-tempo and we're going to get out and run. Mm. Whereas, you know, the DeRozan, uh, Levine, Vucevic lineup is like, we're going to pound you to death in the, in the half court. So you might see a little bit of a, a difference there. I get the sense that Lonzo is going mm. to lead the second unit much more. And, and even in crunch time, you might see Caruso move into that lineup more so than, than Ball because Caruso is obviously a better fit in playing off Ball and, and, and probably the only good defender maybe on the whole roster. So, yeah. you know, um, he's going to be asked to do a lot. But I, I take your point. I mean, That's a pretty I just, good argument, yeah. Yeah. I, mm. I think the depth is a, is a question mark, but I like Donovan as a coach. Um, and, and I think people are sleeping on just how good DeRozan's been in San Antonio. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to see a pretty significant drop-off from the Spurs in the West as, as much as it pains me to say that. And, and a lot of that's going to be the fact that DeRozan won't be there. And yeah. then miss his playmaking. So That's I've got Chicago enough, but... a, a bit higher. I mean, I think you know you've still got them in the playing game, but I think they'll they'll be a little bit above that sort of playing run. Um, I'd have them around the sort of forty four win mark. I don't think they're going to be crazy good, but I, I think and, that, and that's on the basis I said I think they'll be a top five offense, possibly a bottom five defense, and and how does that shake out? Um, you know, through the, through the entire regular season. A um, couple of other teams, Daz, that we've got differences on. I mean, we've sort of got a difference on Charlotte, but I, I think if we if we dug down on the win-losses, um, it, it may not be as much as what you think there. I've got Charlotte just sneaking into the playoffs, but I'm, I'm not high on Charlotte by any stretch of the imagination. I think, to me, Charlotte, Washington, Indiana, and the Knicks, I can hardly, I think Boston are a little bit ahead of that four, but I can't really separate any of those four. And it was almost just personal preference about who I'd yeah. further watch on league pass, to be honest with you, how I rank those those differently. I mean, you've got the Knicks at seven. Um, I've got the Knicks at 11. I mean, my, quickly my argument on the Knicks, and then we can talk a little bit about the Hornets as well, if you want. I just think the Knicks are a regressing candidate waiting to happen. I think teams are going to game plan for Randall, on a regular season basis, when they go in there, they're going to expect what to play. I just think the Knicks last year were playing a different style of basketball to what a lot of other teams were doing in the league. And during the regular season, that sort of became, um, you know, a little bit difficult, I think, for teams to sort of go into Madison Square Garden, which was sort of rocking again when the crowds got back. And uh, they were a difficult matchup at different times. But they're also a team, I think, and you occasionally catch this where, 
whenever you watch a certain team, they either play really well and you kind of overrate them or they just play really poorly and you underrate them. And I think the Knicks were the ladder for me. Every time I seemed to watch this team, they looked terrible and they were getting blown out. And then I, in games I didn't watch, they'd somehow get up and beat, you know, the Miamis and then, you know, the Atlantas of the world before the, the playoffs started. And you sort of, so I must have missed all the good games that they must have played to get the record that they got. But I, I can't get excited about Evan Fournier. You know, they bring Rose back again um, and all the injury history there. I think they're going to need another all-NBA-level season from Julius Randle to meet the expectations of even like a 6-7 seed to me. And, and I just don't see it again. I think teams are going to be much more prepared for what the Knicks are going to throw at them this year. Yeah, I think you're, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in that there'll be some aggression, particularly on defense. I think it's been well chronicled. They had, um, credit oh, lasted nice 80 games. shooting luck. Seven, no, that's it. They were number one in the league in three point percentage allowed by, by a margin that was pretty significant. That being said, they're also good at the two point percentage defense as well. And so it's hard not to sort of say the Tibbs effect and just the way they, you know, well, the way they absorb you know, him in year one was, you know, probably an outlier and you won't be able to see that maintained. I think that's probably fair. Um, that being said, I know Tibbs has not been the most creative uh, offensive mind. I don't know who he's got on his bench, but I just look again, I, I think about just optionality and just seating. Well, I had them higher in the seating in like a seven than, than you did. It's just, just the options they have and just good NBA players, right? You know, Kemba, Derek Rose, yes, they're up there in years, but these are, you know, these guys can, Run an offense. You got quickly, who's got some upside. RJ Barrett, people really like, right? And Fournier, you know, we know exactly what you get with Fournier. It's like a, he's got a quality, capable, competent, you know, which he's haven't seen in New York for a long time in the, in the era of, right? Every Moutier and Milikina and Alfred Payton and whatever shit show backcourt they've had, Daz. This has to be the best backcourt. And that's not saying much. It might be the tallest midget, but that's like the best kind of backcourt rotation they've had in quite a while. Like that's that's kind of exciting, and I think there's some questions, but just want to see there's a bit of upside, right? In the Mitchell Robinsons of the world, in particular, um, maybe that's the only guy I'm thinking about. Yeah, I'm pro like Robinson, um, but I think he's he can be an anchor in the center, um, probably give you more than Nerlens Noel ideally. But uh, I'm definitely not high on Obi Toppin. I think that's another gaping hole on this team is on the wing which, you know, Kevin Knox, I don't think is a player. Evan Fournier can't defend, can't defend a lick, right? Obi Toppin was, I don't know, he scored two points a game last year, you know? So that, that for me is probably their biggest weakness, but I don't know. I just sort of like the backcourt mix out of them to keep them in the seven seats. Look, if they can get anything out of Kemba, that's, that's going to be the, and, and, and it, you know, it, it, Kemba will love Madison Square Garden when it's pumping and he's that sort of player that I think he'll thrive on that. It's just whether the, the body's willing, the spirit's certainly yeah. there the player, but is the body willing? I'm not, I'm certainly not convinced it will be. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm down on them for the reasons that I've given. Look, it wouldn't shock me if they, they push up into that sort of playing range and around that sort of Chicago level that I had. Um, but I just, uh, yeah, I, I just can't, it's not a roster I can get excited about. It's not a team I can get excited about. I think they're, they're the, yeah. the progression candidate in the league. I, I similarly, uh, maybe the Chicago is talking you through, maybe the Bulls do have more upside. So maybe I'm regretting having that one, but I just have, I have so many questions about the Pacers. I got so many questions about Charlotte. I think they're up for a bigger regression than they, than, 
than even like the Knicks. I've got so many questions about Toronto. What are they trying to do? That was almost like Knicks in the seventh seed a little bit by default, just because they're, you kind of know what you're going to get with the Tibbs team. And, and if Randall is Randall, even, you know, 90% of what he was, I think that's a, a seven-ish seed. But uh, Well, I think with the thing with Charlotte for me is they're a young team. I think you, I, I like Book Knight. I think Book Knight's going to have a, they're going to contribute immediately for this team. Uh, and you're going to have Rozier, uh, Lamelo Ball, and Book Knight as your backcourt. PJ Washington is going to be better again. Uh, I think Miles Bridges can get better again. So I think there's some sort of internal development from a pretty young team. And the only player you're sort of looking at and going, well, Rozier, you're hoping you just get the same from him as he was last year. You're not expecting any development there. But I think every other player you look at on this roster, you know, but particularly outside of the centre position, which is my big concern for them, um, you're expecting some development from, and they can get even better than they were. So, and they're very well coached. So, I'm a bit higher on Charlotte. I think they can sneak into that playing game. Um, yeah, but it wouldn't shock me if if Washington get in ahead of them or the Pacers get in ahead of them either. But I think they're going to be in that that sort of playing range right up to the very last sort of game of the season. Um, I've got Toronto outside of that, and I think you've sort of got Toronto inside that playing tournament. Um, yeah. Tom, a bit lower on Toronto, and I think we've, you know, everyone's got Cleveland, Detroit, Orlando as their bottom three in yeah. the conference, which is which is pretty um, which is which is pretty I, standard. And, and yeah. just final point on the Hornets. I mean, obviously the big worry is when Mason Plumlee's your your starting centre. Um, that hurts your ceiling a little bit, but I think you're going to see a lot of small ball with PJ Washington at centre for this lineup as well, which is, is going to be fair. difficult to difficult for other teams to guard. Yeah, I was going to say they've been uniquely hit by the, the NBA bylaws, which said eight years ago that the Charlotte Hornets must have either a Zeller <laughs> or a Plumlee on the roster, and that's really been an anchor around their necks all these years, from from the Zellers and the Miles Plumleys to now Mason, that he was awful in Detroit and. I mean, I guess is he worse than Biombo? <laughs> That's your thirtieth best center in the starting center in the league sort of category. But uh, yeah, but I love. I guess that that fan base has got to be pretty pumped, though, right? Even if that team goes thirty and fifty-two, I think if you see that team gel, um, particularly Mellow Bridges and PJ, kind of the core. Um, who knows what you get from Hayward? I guess that's. You know, who knows? Well, we you never mentioned Gordon Hayward, did we? But yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. he's always a little bit of an afterthought. Um, you, you just... But God, if you play 70, if you play 70, that's a solid playoff team, but I just don't see him, you know, it's just hard, the poor guy. Hard to see him holding up, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, quickly on the Wizards, I just, I love what they did in the, in the, uh, the off-season. I think if they, if Dinwiddie comes back and he's the sort of player we saw in Brooklyn, I think they can push up. Uh, we're going to find out just how good uh, Bradley Beal is uh, at the end of the day. I mean, if he's the start that everyone sort of tr want, wants to make us believe, there, there's a lot of good NBA players, solid NBA players on this roster, Daz. I mean, they're not going to play a lick of defense, but Kuzma can score, Harrell can score, um, Hachi Moore has had, had some moments, Dinwiddie, um, you know, the, the, um, the Bryant's coming back to play in the center role. Um, so, you know, they've, they've got plenty of guys in that rotation. If Beal is really the star, I think they've probably got enough talent around him to push up in the least that sort of lower level play in um, range and maybe even beyond if Dimwitty can come back earlier than expected and, and contribute earlier than expected. I think this is another team that I think that's a fair point, much, much like the Celtics. I just view Washington as this season's all about coaching. 
right? They've got a whole bunch of new toys, you know, to play with and a really deep team here. Fair point. What I forget about, just forget how quickly, how many NBA players they get in the, you know, the trust trade, You're getting Harrell and KCP and, and Kuzma. And you got, what's his name? Avia, Avia, Avija. I forget how to pronounce it. Yeah, Danny yeah, Avia yeah. coming Danny back. Avia. A lot of guys you're going to be like pushing for minutes. So I think this is a, a big, um, big spotlight on Wes Unsell Jr., the new coach there. So I think he's got uh, you know, a lot of fun, though. I think it'd be a fun coaching, um, coaching job to do. A lot of different ways to go, but um, they should be more fun to watch. They were they actually been pretty fun mm. in years past. If you don't mind, no defense and you know Berton shooting forty one footers off the bounce in transition. Um, but yeah, good on good on the Wizards. I think you're right, though. I think they're not. I don't think they're going to push for the playoffs, but it wouldn't surprise me. Mm. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the Beals motivated and plays eighty games at. I think you're probably right, but um, yeah, good on the Wiz for finally being, I suppose, kind of on, like the New York Knicks have done the last couple of years, are finally on a road to competence. Hopefully. All right, Daz. Well, let's let's move over to the Western Conference, which for so many years now has been the superior conference. I think we can finally make an argument that the Eastern Conference is the better conference of the two. Uh, we'll see how that plays out because obviously there, there's now questions over Philly with, with Ben Simmons and what happens there. Um, but I think sort of one through five, uh, the East sort of certainly feels stronger to me than what the West does. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So. Starting there, though, at the top. So you've got Phoenix, your top four are Phoenix, Lakers, Denver, Utah, and I've got Utah, Lakers, Phoenix, Denver. So again, we've got the same top four, but in the in a different um, a different order. You've got Phoenix as the one, I've got Utah as the one. Give me the Phoenix argument, and we'll, we'll go back and forth on that, and then I'll give you the Utah argument. The Phoenix argument for me is, I guess, twofold and perhaps just really simplistically, right? It was one is that they should be supremely confident about last year and the finals run, right? If, I don't know if you're not saying forget, but that wasn't a blowout 4-2 series dance, right? The Bucks had, I think, one blowout, but those three of those four victories were really, really close. Well, Phoenix right, was so damn one and had the ball. Damn one with the ball and a chance to win games, what, uh, three, three and four? Oh, sorry, that's four and exactly five. right. That's why I'm saying they got to be feeling false. That's bitter pill to swallow. They, they were, you know, they'd got to be feeling like the Bucks were 19 against Toronto, right? Just so bloody close. I think they've got to be super confident, number one. Number two is that there was different ways that could have gone pear-shaped in the offseason with Chris Paul's extension and him, you know, the staring contest and Robert Sarver and what they're going to do with Cameron Payne, when they pay Cam to come back. And both those things were just complete non-issues. Bang, you know, Paul got his money and probably a pretty team-friendly deal, as it were. And campaign is back was a critical bench piece, right? So I think that for me was a, you know, something where it's a nice, smooth off-season transition. And then, right, I think we saw that guys like Aiton and Bridges are on an upward trajectory. So you've just got that natural, um, what should be from a finals run, CP3 happy and locked in till, probably till his retirement. You know, they're, they're running a team with two guys who have benefited most from his presence, that being Bridges and Aiton. Um, uh, again, young guys who are super, generally super healthy guys. And then right, probably the other one, the obvious one probably should have been the headline is Booker. Damn, Daz Booker, he's moved. If he's not top 10 in the NBA, he's knocking on the door up there with, Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum, he's right there from what I saw in the playoffs anyway, just his fearlessness, 
and his shot making that dude makes hard shots at you know at um in the mid-range and obviously behind the arc it's just he's a different player he is absolutely improved and so all those things together plus question marks about lebron i got question marks about utah you know obviously Kawhi and jamal murray you know casting clouds over their teams it just felt like almost almost easier than the east as as phoenix kind of hitting the number one for me no, I, I think Utah, in terms of the regular season, I think they're just going to be a juggernaut again. And as they were last year, there's no reason to think they're not going to mm. be exactly the same team and just continue the role in the regular season the way they did. I think they're going to be far and away the number one seed, the Utah really? Jazz. Um, they remind me very much of the Bucks pre-title Bucks, where they've rolled it mm. out again. The Bucks we, we were like, yep, the Bucks are going to win the one seed, but what are they going to do when the playoffs start? You know, and then, and of course, the bubble happened and, and Miami pulled their pants down. That may very well happen to Utah again, but I just think Utah's got, they bought the same team back. Yeah, you know, they bought Mike Conley back. I like the Rudy Gay signing. Questions, obviously, whether how much Rudy Gay's got left in the tank, but at least it's a guy. I think it's an upgrade on favors in terms of being able to play a little bit of a small ball center and change things up a bit when, when Gobert is off the court. Gobert, there's no bigger difference between a guy's regular season value and his play and his postseason value. Although I think, you know, his devalue in the postseason has been a little bit overblown. Um, you know, but but at the end of the day, I think you've got a team that's got continuity. They're going to come out. They're going to hit. They've, they've got the hunger again to go out and do it again um, to get that one seed and sort of right the wrongs of what happened to them in the last year's playoffs. Um, and then, Again, you know, Donovan Mitchell, hopefully you can get him through the season. Gobert generally plays uh, all, all the seasons, a, a, a lot of games each season. Conley has had some injury issues, obviously, but I don't know how, even how big a key player he is to this team anymore. So I'm not seeing why Utah would take a step back from what they did in the regular season last year. You know, I get the, the postseason arguments, but I think they'll be far and away. I think they'll be three or four games clear um, of, of the two seed. And I've sort of got the Lakers and Phoenix right there together. Um, I've sort of just personal preference. We, we, I think Westbrook will, will lift the Lakers to a few wins they otherwise might not have gotten. Um, and, you know, you're going to have the Malik Monk games where Malik Monk comes out and scores 30 points randomly. Kendrick Nunn comes in and gets fire off the bench and things like that for the Lakers where they maybe win a few games. You might not expect them to win uh, and they steal a few. And I think Phoenix, I don't, you know, they're not going to put the same value on the regular season as, as, as what Utah will. You know, mm. Um, mm. so I think obviously Paul will rest the number. Chris Paul will rest the number of games. Now they can obviously still win um, with, with Chris Paul out, but I think you might even see Booker rest a few games here and there. You know, um, who knows what what they'll do with Aiton at different stages of the season. They did sign Javar McGee, which generally he's been a bit of a punchline over the years, but it's actually not a bad backup center for Phoenix to have. Um, so I think Phoenix are well placed. Um, for the postseason, but I'm just I'm not convinced they're going to put all their eggs in the regular season basket. And I think they you might find they pun away a few regular season games here and there, which will be enough to mm. just sort of push them down from two to three um, because they're going to be more focused on on what they need to do in the postseason um, rather than than worry about getting the one seed. Whereas I think for Utah, the one seed matters to them, and they really want to make sure they get it and have home court advantage throughout which is critical for them as they've shown. Yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm, I'm nitpicking because I also have them still 
number four in what's still going to be a very deep Western Conference, right, bar the bottom two teams. You got 13 teams fighting for the playoffs. And I know the Spurs and, and the Wolves, I stretch into that, you know, probably don't have the talent. But there's, those are two franchises, you know, towards the bottom, you'd say, but they desperately want to win every game. So I still got Utah number four. I just think, you know, Ingles is going to come back to earth after breaking the record for, you know, a true shooting percentage in a season. Don't love Hassan Whiteside, you know, as a backup. You say what you will about favors, but, you know, I just don't love Hassan I don't think Whiteside will play roster. much. I think Whiteside will be yeah, in that rotation. Maybe it's Pascal. Maybe Pascal's like the backup, mm. backup five and a bit of an offensive sort of small ball lineup. I think they expect a lot out of Royce O'Neal and maybe too much from him. It's like just kind of, I don't know, I just felt like this team is just held together with sticky tape beneath Donovan and Gobert in terms of its ability to be, a, you know, kind of upper echelons. So well, I, I mean, the big, number... the big disagreement we have to interrupt you there, Daz, is yeah. I've got the Utah right. Jazz making the finals. Um, so I think they're going to overcome the postseason demons to an extent. Um, I don't have them winning the finals, but I think they're going to make the finals this year. So I'm, I, I think from that point of view, I'm far higher on the Jazz than what you are. Yeah, I'd say that's quite a difference. I, yeah, that's fair enough. Look, you must be, I must be a believer in continuity, Quinn Snyder, and, and I think Mike Conley probably. Well, we've seen it in Milwaukee, Jazz. I mean, I know Milwaukee yeah. bought in Drew yeah. Holiday. And I guess you say, well, who's Utah's Drew Holiday? It's, it's not going to be Rudy. Yeah. So, you know, they probably don't have Conley. that. But, you know, I, I like the fact that there's continuity there and I think they've blocked out the noise and all the people that say, oh, they're not going to, you can't win with Rudy Gobert and things like that. I think they'll have little tweaks here and there for the playoffs. And, and that's what you've got to do when you keep butting up against that sort of ceiling. You go, let's, let's just tweak it because you clearly got a good enough team to win the one seed in the West. You know, so to sit there and say, ah, oh, we need to just throw it all out and start and, and try and do something completely different. Well, then you're probably going to butt your head up against the ceiling. You've got to lose one to win one. You know, you've got to lose and, yeah. and you're going to fail a number of times. Like there's very few teams that will put together straight away. I mean, even go right back to the to the Jordan Pippen days. Daz. I mean, they lost, they, they lost to the Celtics. They lost to the Pistons. You know, the Shaq Kobe Lakers, they were swept by the Spurs in 99 like you know you're going to come up again you're going to have failures and then you push through so i like the fact that they've doubled down and going you know what let's bring the same team back we're believers in this and look if the same thing happens again then obviously that they, they may have some questions to answer um but i think they've got a very very high floor and i think they can push through um assuming they can all stay healthy uh for the for the playoffs yeah, I guess the one thing I'd like to see, and that's maybe I'm a bit, I'm lower, is that we, we've seen Rudy Gobert be exactly what he is, right? Which is a, you know, rim running, offensive rebounding machine. And he's very, very consistent with that, right? Last five, six seasons, you know, whatever is 14 points a game and 13, 14 boards and obviously elite interior defense. It's just that, wouldn't you love to see him scaled a bit? If a guy shoots bloody almost 70% from the floor, it was 67 or 68 percent last year wouldn't you love to see them find an offense where he gets more than eight eight attempts per game that's for me is where you just your second best player just doesn't make enough of an impact on offense for me which is why i just go I well just, i think they're gonna look I, at the I way, tend to be in that camp yeah. they've kind of got to look at the way france used him in in the olympics uh and i mean france very nearly beat the us in in the gold medal game 
Uh, and the way the French team used him is is a you know different to the way that the Jazz. Now, obviously, you know, there, there's a different talent level within that French team than what they probably have on offer at the Jazz. But I think there's certainly some tweaks that they can do um, to get a little bit more out of Gobert on the offensive end. Um, and yeah. there's a, a little bit high there. But I think also, you know, that there's going to be times when they will just say, look, Gobert's sitting at the moment. And um, But I think hopefully for them, Rudy Gay's at least got enough left in the tank to come in and take some spot minutes here and there, um, not only in the regular season, but more importantly in the playoffs. So, also, I mean, I certainly don't have much between them and Phoenix. And I think if the Lakers are healthy and up and about in the playoffs... Yeah, if you get a healthy LeBron, a healthy AD, that's still going to be very, very difficult to beat. But I'm just, as I, as I sort of touched on earlier, I'm not convinced you're going to be able to, to keep that team healthy no matter how much you try and nurse them through the regular season. Um, they always seem, you know, LeBron and AD now always seem to be having some sort of a, um, you know, niggle here and there. And I think yeah. the bubble suited that Lakers team so perfectly. You know, and it was just the perfect timing, the perfect set of circumstances for them to come in and win that title. Um, I think, you know, if you don't go into the bubble, does that Lakers team win the title? I'm not, I'm not convinced that they do. So th this is another thing that I think you need to to focus on. Um, that that Lakers, and I've got Lakers-Phoenix meeting in the semifinals this time. I think that's going to be a, an epic matchup. Um, between two teams that, that certainly could win the Western Conference. So they're the three teams I have. I mean, I think with Denver, if Jamal Murray can come back and, and look like Jamal Murray again, who knows? I think they could get themselves into the mix. Um, but I think Jokic is good enough. Jokic, Porter Jr. And, and Aaron Gordon should be good enough as a sort of top three to push them into the, the top four of the Western Conference, which I think there's a bit of a gap and a bit of a drop-off after that top four to the rest of the teams in the conference. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you. I think the Denver in particular, which is an interesting one, which I, I've got them at number three, even without Murray, just reflecting on, you know, if they get a healthy, just to have a healthy backcourt with Will Barton and Austin Rivers and Monty Morris and, you know, that just, just that group by itself, you know, um, and God, who doesn't love the name Bones Highland? <laughs> and then so you can put Campazzo back to where he's better suited, right? Which is that, you know, spark plug, you know, fiery kind of guy playing you know, 18 minutes high off the bench. I just think they were so good even without Murray and that ragtag um, backcourt. I've got them right with, the, right with you right there in the number three spot. One interesting question, though, is what if Murray comes back and they're rolling and you got a guy trying to come back from ACL. What you see from guys going back from that injury is that usually that first run, right? That's just them finding their sea legs. That's just finding mm. their game, game fitness. And you kind of go, gosh, what if he's back in April, Daz? They're going to try and wedge him into the rotation? Well, you know, I think history tells us if, if they're a contender, they're just going to redshirt him. I don't think they're going to try. Yeah, maybe he'll get some you games wonder, yeah. here yeah. and there. And they'll say, look, let's, let's see how he goes. Um, it, it may all depend on how he looks in the gym. You know, if they think, well, he looks like Jamal Murray again, he's hitting shots and catching fire. Uh, well, maybe we're, we're silly not to put him in, um, yeah. even as a heat check option off the bench. But um, if he's sort of still working his way in and, and just sort of feeling his way, I don't think, um, you know, I'd, I'd be pretty surprised if they play him. So you're kind of expecting nothing out of Murray this year, but there is that, that chance 
that he does come back and give them something. Although, you know, I, I, I struggle to think of a, a comp or an example of a player that has come back from an ACL in the same sort of time frame and, uh, and actually contributed on the court. Um, yeah, that first season, I, I agree with you. That would be interesting. To a contender. So the other team we've got to now, when, when we get out of the top four, that's where we sort of diverge a little bit. Um, I've got the Clippers far higher than you've got the Clippers. So give me your, I mean, I guess the argument as to why they're going to regress is, is pretty obvious, no Kawhi Leonard. I, I think people are sleeping on just how competitive the Clippers are going to be night tonight. I'm expecting a lot more games out of Paul George than what, we, what we've seen in previous years. And let's face it, he should have a heap of gas left in the tank, the amount of nights he's taken off. Um, over the last few years. And Kawhi's not that important a player in the regular season. As great a player as he is, I'm not convinced he's that important a player for them to lose in the regular season. He's certainly going to be important when the playoffs start and they're looking around, well, who, who's our best player and who do we sort of go to at the end of these games? But if Reggie Jackson can keep playing the way, and Reggie Jackson looked good in the pre-season, if he can play the way he did in the playoffs, you know, uh, they still get things like Terrence Mann comes in and, and plays well. And they're sort of getting these guys night tonight. I think Ty Lue's shown that he's one of the better coaches in the league. They didn't get much out of Serge Ibaka last year. Is that because he's out of the gas or is he sort of going to come back and have a bit of a renaissance this year? I, I tend to think you might get a bit better player than Serge Ibaka this year. And I think Paul George is, you know, when he plays and when he's rolling, I think he's one of the better players in the NBA, does. I really do. So I think this team could push up into sort of that that five, six seed range. I've got them above Dallas um, in my rankings, but you've got them uh, out of the playoffs altogether. I, I do. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. This is the one where we see quite differently. I guess when I look at the Clippers roster, and I, I actually agree on Paul George. I think he's been underrated, to be honest, the last couple of years. Um, I still love his game, and he's just so smooth and confident. It's hard not to love his game. His defense isn't what it used to be, but you know, that defense doesn't pay the bills anymore, Daz, apparently. Just ask Jabari Well, Parker. I think he I think he silenced a lot of Daz in the playoffs last year as well. So I think he he's played coming freaking with a bit hard. more of a, yeah. a swagger. Yeah, I agree. And look, I guess my – I say it with slight hyperbole, but when I look at this look at this team, I go, it looks like Paul George and then seven guys that I'd want coming off the bench. That's what – I just feel like that starting lineup is going to get slaughtered. I go, yeah, Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Eric Bledsoe, Nick Batum, Terrace Mann, Justice Winslow, Marcus Morris, Harry Giles, Serge Ibaka and his questions. I just, the whole roster and all these minutes just feel like guys, maybe Bar Zubac, who probably is a credible starting NBA center. Just, I just don't, I just got so many questions about how they're well, actually going to win. But that's the same lineup, Daz. Yeah. That's the same lineup that beat Utah and then pushed Phoenix to six games in the Western Conference Finals. So I think people are freaking out, oh, Kawhi Leonard's out, Kawhi Leonard's out. It's like, well, this is still a pretty competitive lineup, um, you know, despite the fact that, that Kawhi Leonard's out. Look, that's <laughs> fair. I, guess, I think what that says is you expect the same, if not better, performance than from Marcus Morris, Terrence Mann, and Reggie Jackson, who were clearly and even Batum right I go that's for me is where I guess that maybe that's where my 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 emotional modeling is just like I do not see how that team can stay at the level that it was and I just think one you know injury here and there and that team has just gotten I just don't like I just don't like well I think Reggie Jackson's gonna have a good year 
Marcus Morris has played well in the yeah. past. I mean, Marcus Morris really didn't have much of a role last year. His role is going to be expanded. I think he can play better. And I'm also expecting better out of a marker. But if, if you get no, if, if Jackson regresses to Detroit Jackson, if Marcus Morris sort of just goes into his shell as he as he sometimes can do, if Ibaka really is done, then obviously my, your your prediction is going to be closer to the money. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. Look, I think that's the one where we have quite a difference of opinion there, and it's just Ty Lue is going to be coaching his ass off this year. That's going to be a, that's one of the hard. Let's tack up, put that in the. We have maybe not time for this one today, but the. You know, coaches with the hardest job descriptions this year. Ty Lue's got to be up there for me in that top, top sort of few hardest jobs. I think that's a lot of pressure to win, um, a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of performance to squeeze out of. You know, no longer you know elite talent, but um, yeah, we'll see. You're right. They did it. They proved it. They did prove it in the playoffs. So um, maybe that's a difference. Maybe they squeak in and they're a better playoff team than they are a regular season team. Mm. Maybe that's what you're also saying, especially well, if Kawhi comes back. Yeah. Well, then you, so then you've got after, so I've got the clip now. You've got Portland in the five seed. I'm not as probably as high on Portland as you. I'm not convinced on Chauncey Billups. He's never coached before. Um, I think that's real train wreck potential, actually. I mm. think, I think there's a chance with Portland that Chauncey's gone, Dame's gone, CJ's gone, and Becky Hammond's <laughs> coaching them next year, you know, and they're just in full rebuild. Um, but there's a chance mm. that they they push up and, and have a bit of a mini mini playoff run as well, um, and and Chauncey ends up being the, the right pick there. But uh, that's when when the GM openly, you know, and, and it's open out there that the GM's picked his guy ahead of the owner's first choice. That, that's that one of the hottest seats in the league to me is Chauncey Billups straight away because if this if things go south there, and then Dame Lillard wants out, guess who's going to be following him out the door. Oh, it'd be a complete house cleaning. That'd be it would absolute top to bottom. I think you're right, but I I don't know. I just I think like I, I wrote in my notes here. So you're not wrong. I think this is one of the highest variance teams in the league. Um, not for probably performance reasons, but for personnel and personnel reasons. I think you're right. Whereas I think teams like the Bulls and the, and the Charlotte just are so hard to predict on how they're going to perform. I think that's fair. I don't know. I just I think Dame needs a bit of needs a bit of tension, needs a bit of something to focus on. It's been so comfy under Stotts, so samey-samey, right? Just just get through 82 and let me try to run, work my magic in the playoffs. Mm. You know, I just, I think he might find a bit of motivation. Again, big question mark, if he can connect and see eye to eye with Chauncey. I think you've got a full year of Norman Powell. I love, right? I actually love the natural fit of that starting five with Rocco, Nance, Nurkic, and the, the two, you know, the two gunners and CJ and Dame. I finally, I think Dennis, they finally have addition well, by subtraction with nobody, Ned, Zach Collins. You know, Nance is on. the, don't, dis, don't dismiss Zach Collins, please. But uh, <laughs> the Nance signing is, uh, is, is my favorite side, one of my sneaky off season signings. That I, and that's why, I mean, I've still got them in the seventh seed. I, I, I don't think that's it's true. Go. Yeah, you're right. You, yeah. I don't think it's going to go completely pear-shaped. And I wouldn't be shocked if they got up into that 5C, uh, but I'm probably a little bit lower on them. But I, I think there's a there's a real chance things go south there. But I do love the Nance signing. I think Larry Nance has been crying out to be on a competitive team. I mean, he's just been yeah. on train wreck after train wreck yeah. of, of a team. 
this is a guy, and then Bill Simmons has touched on this number of times, you know, get a distressed asset from a, from one of these sort of Sacramento, Cleveland type teams and put him in a better situation. He's going to love playing with Dame Lillard, I think. So I do like that signing. They've finally got a little bit more depth with the norm, sort of Norm Powell. I think Norm Powell coming off the bench is really, really good. That That's where sort of it is a better signing than Gary Trent, even though Trent yeah. at, at, at times looked like a better fit uh, within the starting five. But when you're asking Norm Powell to maybe run that second unit offense, then it becomes a better um, a better fit. But I do worry about, you know, what's Nurkic, what are they going to get out of Nurkic? Um, are, are some of these other young guys that go on their roster actually going to develop you know, Anthony Simons, we've been waiting on it for, for a few years now. It looks like it's not probably not going to happen uh, for him, certainly if it doesn't happen this year. And there's a little, you know, what do you get out of these guys? So there's question marks there. And as I said, I'm I'm not sold on Chauncey as a coach simply because he's never coached before. But yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean um, that he's not going to be um, a great coach. We have seen guys, you know, Mark Jackson, the classic example, uh, even though he didn't get on with the front office people, he, he sort of had a very good effect on the players there at Golden State, and he'd never coached before, went straight out of the commentating booth into the coaching role. So maybe Phillips can have a, a similar impact on that. Daz. Another team that's had a coaching change, and we're gonna. This is going to be fascinating, Daz, because I think we've got the two biggest egos in the NBA on the same roster, and that's the Dallas Mavericks, where you've got uh, Jason Kidd, the egomaniac coach, and Luka Doncic, the egomaniac player. How do you think that's going to go? I mean, because it could go two ways. I mean, these two could. I'll give my prediction in a second, but these two could really get along well, but they could also clash. And it could be like a nuclear war <laughs> in the offseason. My prediction for Dallas is Luca's going to have a great season. He's going to really enjoy Jason Kidd and every single other player in that roster and every single other person in that miserable organization is going to wish that they were somewhere else. That's so funny. I, I see it almost exactly the opposite, which is having lived through the years of Jason Kidd, Daz, and wanting to gouge our eyes out pour acid on our eyes and shove spikes in our ears so we didn't have to remember or see or hear what he's, the decisions he makes on the court and his explanations off the court, Daz. What I think it's going to last about five minutes of the first two or three times Jason Kidd does stupid shit, then throws his team under the bus in the presser. I think Luca is going to see, Luca's going to think I'm smarter than Jason Kidd in about fucking five minutes, Daz. I think that relationship is going to last a minute. I uh, think, Luke I is think what will happen hype. is just to interrupt you. I think what's going to happen. No, go is, for it. Yeah, push back. Yeah, Kid and Luca are going to put themselves on a pedestal and say we're up here, right? And Jason Kid's going to say yeah. I've won the title. I was all NBA. Uh, you know, I was in the MVP conversation. We're up here, and all you are, rest of you are down there, and you should be <laughs> thankful. And this is how he was in Milwaukee. I mean, I'm reading Yana's book at the moment, like. This is how he, he was basically like, you should all be thankful for being in my presence. You know, this is how, how big an opinion that Jason Kidd has of himself. And guess who also has that sort of opinion of themselves? Luka Doncic. So I think you either, I think it's either going to be like yeah, you look, say, that's really interesting. They're going to clash. Really interesting. But I think what's going to happen is he's going to go. And what was happening in Milwaukee was he was trying to get Giannis to gut, stand up on the pedestal with him. And it's not in Giannis's personality to do it, but that's what he wanted. 
And he wanted him and Yas to lord over all these guys and they all bow at the altar of the of the genius that is Jason Kidd. That's what he's going to try and do in Dallas. And he's going to say, Luca, you come up with me. You're above criticism. I'll never, ever criticize Luca. But guess what? Tim Hardaway, if you miss a if you miss a rotation, you know, Zinger, if you if you don't pass the ball in the right space or in the right time, I'm going to call you out in the film room and Luca and I are going to berate all of you um, every single film session. That's how I sort of think it's going to go. Look, that's very that's a compelling argument because I can see that. I can actually see that possibility almost in the same way that when you saw the the Last Dance documentary, which I would never watch in a million years, but what I heard about, right, which is still to this day, you do not hear any credit, proper credit given to the Horace Grants and the and Scotty Pippins. That was always Jordan. Jordan did everything. Everything on that team that anyone ever did was either taught by Jordan, inspired by Jordan, or, allow, or Jordan allowed it to happen, right? That That's team, yeah. that egomaniacal sort of sense. I think you're, you are right. Now, Phil Jackson was, right, all-time you know, amazing mollifier and psychologist, right, to manage that sort of situation. Jason Kidd, not a master psychologist <laughs> and mollifier. That's why I go, Daz, that you might be true for a month or mm. four months, but I just go, it's going to happen. Kid's going to stumble. He's going to make mistakes. His pressers are going to be cringeworthy, and the questions are going to keep flying at Luca every day, every day. They're going to be asking about what do you think about the fact that Jason Kidd you know, was, was down by, down by whatever, up by four and automatically, whatever, he starts falling at the end of games and then lost the game or throws possessions away. You just, he's going to get questioned all the time. Just what happened in Milwaukee. And guess what? The Bucks were made of nice guys who didn't talk, right? Jabari and Chris and Giannis and the OJ males at the end. And just like nice, just guys, right? Nice Tony Snell, you know, John Henson. Greg Monroe, nice guys, right? No, Luca is not going to bite his tongue, Dad. So I go that match. That match has been lit. It is a. It is going to be. It's a matter of time. Well, it, it comes down right. to does Jason Kidd want to assert his authority over Luca, or is he going to cede to Luca and say, Luca, you be up top. That's fine. I'll Look, be a little bit really below you, and too. I'll lord that's, over the rest of the town. That's what I think That's happen. really – okay, now that is an interesting way to look at it, too, just from a leadership perspective and the way he can protect his ego is he can go out front and center in every presser. But what's really happening is Luca's calling the plays and calling the shots, and whether, what's the NBA equivalent of calling audibles? Kid calls a stupid out-of-bounds play, and Luca just overrides it and does something better. And kid take credit for it, right? So Luca might roll his eyes, but Luca won't care because he's made the winning play. And he knows it was him. That's a really now you're, and that's I think more likely than most two on a pedestal. I think you could be right. That might be Jason's key path to survival. But does kid have the ability to park his ego, Daz? That was your first your first opening comment. Does he have it in him to actually defer to a player? We will see. But I'm I just cannot see that lasting. Like Bucks fans are just chortling. Like we cannot wait. We almost wish we we hated the Mavericks sort of franchise, which we get no reason to, right? But we're just like we wish you'd have been coached by the Sixers or the Celtics or something, just to go more. Ah, ah, ah. Let's see what sort of you know train wreck unfolds here. But um, oh, I'm going to enjoy anyway, every minute of it. I mean, and I bet you are. I bet you are. Just my my take on the you you mentioned the last dance. I mean, the last dance was marketed as this warts and all look at Jordan and the Bulls and everything like that. 
Daz, it was another Jordan puff piece. And I mean, that's exactly. I said to the guys after I watched it, I've seen, I've said, I've seen that video five times. I said, I've seen all these stories. I've said, I've seen everything about, I said, there was nothing new in that entire documentary that I didn't know. Right. There really wasn't. Yeah. Um, And it was just Jordan sitting there giving his perspective on all these different things. And yeah, it was it was no different, you know, because they used to always have those sort of Jordan videos um, that came out over the years, as well as the Chicago Championship videos. And I've watched all of them as over the years. Um, you probably couldn't bring yourself to watch them, um, but yeah, there there was nothing new in the Last Dance. It was just basically a culmination of all those different championship videos uh, and and all the different Jordan puff pieces put together as one. So. You know, there was no warts and all. That's what I call it. It was a six-hour selfie. <laughs> just yeah, like, there was no warts yeah. and all sort Big of, jam. oh, this is what happened. And, you know, it was it was ridiculous. So, anyways. Well, Des, in this in this era of media coverage, we are going to see every wart on Jason Kidd. And I I go, I think that's the unspoken um, topic for another day. But, you know, which star players are most likely to kind of start to get, you know, either want out or, or seeking out of their contracts. And we talk about Carl Anthony Towns, maybe Dame, maybe Beal, heck, maybe Zion simmering. I think an un, un, under-discussed one is Luca. Might he be the first guy who actually just takes a qualifying offer? You know, I mm-hmm. think if Jason Kidd mucks this up, the pressure that Mark, that Mark Cuban's going to be under and Mark Cuban under pressure, like any owner who hyper-competitive like he is, ego maniac, will be prone to make some really dubious choices. I just think setting kid into that locker room or what they probably should have used is someone like a Steve Nash or whomever the version of, you know, a Becky Hammond or a, a baby version of Phil Jackson, someone who is a master psychologist, master at human relationship management mm-hmm. is what that locker room needs when it's Luca and a very important but fragile Kristaps is a bit fragile and a bit burnt, you know, from his New York experience. You got young dudes who are just playing out of their out of their minds under Carlisle, like you know Brunson and um, um, who's the other kid, the hyphenated kid. I was my God, I just blanked on him. Oh, um, Finney Smith. Darren Dorian Finney Smith, right? These unheralded guys who just thrive, you know, in in the you know in a Rick Carlisle type system. You know, how are they to your point? How are they going to handle? the maniacal sort of stuff on kid. I just think that was one of the worst hires you could possibly imagine. And if I'm wrong, I will, I don't know, Des, you can pick the punishment or pick the, you know, pick the dare you want me to, to do, but I will be <laughs> stunned if Jason Kidd were here this time next season going next year going, wow, that was a pretty good year. I'll be stunned if this season goes anywhere near. Well, well Des, I'll be watching like Kermit sipping his tea, just, uh loving every minute of it <laughs> soaking it all in look chugga, on the... chugga chugga from day one i love yeah. it yeah well dallas to me um i, I would have gone with d'antoni as the coach that that would have sort of made sense oh. to me given that he, what he did with harden in, in houston that oh. would have been the direction i would have went um and i don't think was d'antoni there when they drafted porzingis in new york i think he'd left by then but um but I think that's the guy. You need that offensive genius that that D'Antoni is, and he's been able to to manage some egos over the, over his time as well. He, um, where is he? Is he still on Nash's bench? He's still in Brooklyn. Where? He's still in Brooklyn. I'm waiting. Did he get interviewed? 
did some interviews. Did he interview in Portland? I think he might have, but um, I saw. I, yeah. I don't remember where I saw him. I, for some reason, someone said Indiana was was one place where he. But I, I didn't see that as a natural fit. And of course, that's where Carlisle's ended up. So, um, yeah. But I look last. That's a really good. Th- I didn't even think about that. It's a really good thought. But yeah. Yeah, last well, one, go ahead. Last team in the West that we want to talk about, I think, is Golden State because there's a bit of buzz around Golden State that they could make a run. I'm totally out on Golden State. I think they may sneak into the playoffs. I've got them in the eighth seed. I cannot see a scenario where this team pushes up and is any sort of a contender this year. Clay Thompson's not back until like December, January. And I mean, we're sitting there talking about what are we going to get out of Jamal Murray? This guy's a player for two and a half years. Um, there's there's almost zero chance we're going to see. Yeah, we might see a game here or there, Brandon Roy style from from Clay Thompson, but I don't think we're going to see any sort of consistent level play the way he did uh, before he got the, the, firstly the knee injury and then the Achilles. Um, so I think it's fanciful to think you're going to get anything out of Clay Thompson. And other than that, it's pretty much the same team as last year. They've got two red shirt rookies. Uh, they got another guy in Wiseman who's probably going to be redshirted again um, because he's just, you know, he's he's like looking at sashimi on the court as he's that raw. <laughs> and then you got okay, Jordan Poole's had some moments in the in the you know towards the end of last season in the process this year. But come on, I mean, mm. we're really going to project mm. him out to twenty points Simons. a game. That's right. Yeah, so, sort of and I think you're you're factoring in. That, that Steph Curry's going to have another MVP type year, which he may do, but at some stage, Steph's going to have to become more of a shooter and less of the playmaker in this team. And if, if that's going to be the case this year, who's going to be the playmaker? If they're going to be asking him to do all the playmaking as well, I think he's a prime candidate to break down. And obviously we don't wish that on him, but he's had the injury problems in the past. Um, this is a team I could see, honestly, falling right down again and being in the bottom three. I, I think they're more of a chance of being in the bottom three of the Western Conference than the top three of the Western Conference. Put it that way. Wow. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm higher on them. I share your same concerns. I do. I, I absolutely do. And, you know, when you're relying on guys like perhaps Iguodala to keep playing and, and, you know, Draymond as well, who's got a lot of miles on his breaking down body. And that's an under... Probably an under was it under publicized or maybe it was publicized exactly as much as it should have been. But Draymond Green's falling off a cliff on offense, Daz, it must be noted, right? He is almost PJ Tucker level on offense now. Granted, he still had the elite passing, playmaking, ball mover, but that guy cannot shoot to save his life. So he has become a net negative, I would say, on offense. That being said, what I I would price in the fact that this is one last hurrah with Steph in his the edge of his prime. If Clay is even 80% of Clay, right? And maybe he uses 30 games this year to get his to get his game legs back. I do not see Joe Lacobe and um, that front office sitting on this path which says, oh, let's run it out with, let's run out this course with Steph and Draymond and Clay and be happy with seven and eight seeds. Yeah. And watch them to retirement or let them go, you know, elsewhere on vet mins or whatever, as it were in the next two or three years, whilst we, we groom, you know, Kaminga Wiseman and you know, Kaminga and Wiseman in particular to take this team over into the next generation. I just don't see it. So I price in the fact that they're going to sit back 
armed with a Wiggins contract who played pretty well for Andrew Wiggins right last year. Wiseman and Kaminga. And who's the other kid they drafted? It was Moody, wasn't it? Moody, um, yep. Yeah, the other kid they drafted at 14 last year. I just pricing in the fact that um, Oregon pumping up the value MCW like with Jordan Poole, right? Just <laughs> pumping up value. And I think they're that's what they're going to be watching for is that can they do something uh, packaging a, a Wiggins, um, Kaminga, and I'm making this up, Wiseman to get Dame Lillard or, or whatever it is, right? Or a Bradley Beal or, or something that says, yep, we're going to give this another two or three year window with Steph Clay and Draymond and give them a third stroke four star. That's what I've got priced in happening this year. Uh, so that's my feelings. I'm with well, you on the opposite. I, th- I think that I think they're going to do exactly what you said. It, it was the option A. I think they're just going to let you this team. Well, why would you why would you draft these young guys um, that clearly aren't ready to play but have tremendous upside? I don't know. Um, that I think they I think they're just going to say, look, in two or three years' time, Kaminga's going to be much better. Moody's going to be much better. Wiseman's going to be much better. We've got those guys ready to go. You know, if Steph wants to stay around and be a warrior for life, so be it. He's going to be still a he's going to be a great shooter until he, he could probably play until he's forty in terms of his shooting. Um, and, and so might Clay. So they're still going to be a competitive team potentially, but I, I don't see them moving up because if they were going to make a big splash in the trade market, I think you do it before you make the draft picks because the draft picks are more valuable before you make the pick than they are when you've actually got the player there because yeah, people maybe. are looking at it from the player's point of view. Now they don't really have any draft picks other than their own uh, to be shopping around. So I don't see that there's, they're going to be making that. They, they may, I'm sure they'll talk to different teams across the league but i don't think there's a big move there for them to be them to make to be honest um you know they don't have the assets to get a bradley beal in unless a third well, team a gets fair... involved that we don't see yeah you have to fall in love with kaminga and or wiseman and i guess you just maybe uh, maybe just argued against my point really effectively is that they need to play kaminga and wiseman for them to get value out of kaminga and wiseman and mm. they can't afford to play kaminga and wiseman can they because we saw it happen last year with Wiseman and that poor kid lost his confidence and he was, he was clearly not ready to play in the NBA, let alone with a team as wickedly intelligent and as intuitive as a team with Draymond Green and and Steph Curry on it. So will they actually find minutes for these guys, which now that you talk about it, they probably aren't. They're going to be playing, you know, the, you know, the uh, Jordan pools and Juan Toscano's and, you know, obviously Wiggins will run tons of minutes and, you know, Bielitsa will probably be, you know, Galloway. Otto Porter, yeah, these guys are just come in and shoot seven threes in, in 10 minutes. It's probably what they're going to do over the rookies. So that's actually a fair point. Mm. But um, so, yeah, so uh, anyway, in terms of where the projections, I guess I had them a bit higher. I had them, yeah. Well, you have them winning a playoff series as well. Like, I yeah, do actually. <laughs> that's very fanciful uh i think i think they'll sneak into the playoffs potentially and i wouldn't surprise if they didn't um and then i think they'll be a pretty comfortable first round exit to be honest um i just i can't get excited about i I think their window is closed but they don't realize it yet that's how it feels to me but i think i think internally they know where they're at and that's why they're drafting these young guys because i think they they feel like our window is closed. Um, so we're, we're looking, yeah. you know, two, three years down the track with some of these That's young guys fair. that they're dra- drafting in. So let's does now move to, um, I mean, just quickly round it off. We've got sort of OKC Houston 
uh, down the bottom. I mean, there's a bit of a difference between New Orleans. I'm a little bit higher on New Orleans than you are, but I think we both sort of see the train wreck potential there. I actually think there's just going to be a number of really bad teams in the West this year. I think New Orleans, Sacramento, as much as I hate to say it, San Antonio, OKC, Houston, I think they're all going to be below the 30-win mark um, this year. So it's, it's just going to be personal preference. And I think New Orleans are probably just you know, a little bit more incentivised to try and win. Um, you know, I, I don't think Sacramento and Spurs are necessarily going to tank, but I, don't, I just don't think they're going to have the talent to win a lot of games. Whereas I think, you know, Zion and, and Ingram, just alone on the talent that they have, are going to sort of get enough wins for New Orleans to push them above. But I have them well below um, everyone else. I've got Minnesota a little bit higher, but I want to talk about Minnesota in a separate context in a second. So rather than to get into them now, um, I wanted to look at um, the players to watch, Daz, and maybe we pick two or three players each before we, we round out with um, our sort of league pass, uh, a couple of league pass teams to keep an eye on. Which players are you really looking forward to seeing this year and you think are, are worthy of the, the sort of tower waving Livingston experience? Uh, first one for me is Jaron Jackson Jr., which he's, he's shown a lot of promise. He's looking good in the preseason with his, his mechanics are still wacky as ever does, but that guy can pull up from 30 feet mm. and drill it like anything. And he's been injured, right? So the guy needs to stay on the court. And we saw jaw. I think he didn't have a massive leap in the regular season. He's maturing and clearly had some playoff moments, which are jaw dropping, um, and some really good coaching happening there in Memphis. Yeah. So mm. I'm, I just want to see, can Triple J play, say, 70, 69, 70 games and become this stretchy, switchy five that we all imagine he might be able to be, you know, who can face up, who can attack, close out, and who can protect the rim the way we've seen him do in flashes and in, in bits before. So Triple J, not probably so much for the basketball, but just can the guy stay on the court? That's, well, he didn't look good one. last year was my worry when he came no. back. And it wasn't necessarily an injury. I expected him to not, not look that great. I can't fully remember what the injury was. But it wasn't like he did a knee or Meniscus. something like that. No, I it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't a knee, was it? Okay, but it wasn't I a full ACL. Was. Yeah. No. Uh, so, uh, but I thought he'd look better, put it that way. Than, and, and you're probably, well, you're certainly more well-placed to, to discuss knee injuries than I am. But he just didn't look very good in the play in the playing games and in, in the short sort of playoffs stint that they had. Uh, so I was a little bit discouraged on that. But I do agree, he was the player I had to watch at Memphis as well, I think, because that's really, to me, he's a learning breakout candidate. Um, across the league. And I yeah. think their yeah. ceiling as a franchise is really tied to what he does. Because I think we know what Jar's going to be at the moment. You know, I think Jar's just a better, more more explosive, um, you know, Darren Fox in a sense. I think there's some similarities between their two days, but Jar's just better. Um, whereas Triple J is a guy that, you know, like he could be Anthony Davis-like if, if it all falls into place for him. Um, at Memphis, so that that's really going to sort of control just how good can this team be. Yeah, yeah, and that that's a team with probably another. Uh, we didn't discuss them at all, but probably some variance as well, just based on Triple J himself. Is if he plays, you know, at his sort of if he makes a leap and stays healthy, that team could add a bunch of wins. As you said, as the bottom of the West has gotten weaker, no doubt. 
I think Memphis could be one of those sneaky teams. Who yeah, I, I think we've both got them at around their floor, which is probably I think that's eight right. nine seed. I think that's right. But I think yeah. their ceiling's probably pushing up into that maybe even four or five range if yeah. if Jaron Jackson Jr. has a massive year. Yeah. The guy I'm looking forward to watch does is in Minnesota, and that's Anthony Edwards. Who would that have, was going to be my second pick. Yeah, yes. I, I got in Go. ahead of you because I knew you were going there. Good. So this is a guy that's that went under the radar last year when Minnesota won all those games and the NBA Twitter already were like, oh, how dumb are the Timberwolves winning games? <laughs> how dare you win games? I thought it was the right move. Like, get rid of that draft pick. Okay, move on from it. It was a bad trade. I mean, either way, you yeah, you probably prefer to have Wiggins and have kept that trade, that that draft pick than, than have Russell, but it is what it is now. You've got Russell. But Edwards played some really good basketball in the last sort of 20 games of last season, probably even, even more than that, if you if you branched out. And he was popping off the screen, Daz. I mean, I think this, I think him and Carthony Towns are going to be a genuine one-two punch in Minnesota that people are sleeping on. And I think they're going to be, it wouldn't surprise me with Minnesota if they start the season really well. I think they, you know, they may very well hit the wall around that sort of January, February mark with being a younger team. But the, what you've got to watch with Anthony Edwards, and if you are flicking through low pass, watch this team. His first step does is as quick as any player I've seen for so many years. And I was trying to sort of think of the, the comp, the comp that everyone sort of comes up with is Dwayne Wade, but a, a J.R. Ryder, Isaiah Ryder was another guy. Oh, like think of, yeah. Just got past guys with that quick first step and could be at the rim and you went, holy, how did that guy just do that? I mean, Lonnie Walker's got it as well at the Spurs, but he just is totally out of control. Whereas Edwards and, and Ryder and, and Dwayne Wade, to be at that speed and be in control of yourself and be able to lay the ball in or find the right pass. I'll tell you what, I think the sky's the limit. I think they got the best player in the draft last year. I know LaMelo Ball had the better rookie year. I would be shocked if Anthony Edwards doesn't become the best player of that draft class from last year based on what I saw. It's exciting. And I think for a guy who was probably maligned, wasn't he? They were much maligned and talked about, you know, does this kid love the game? He's, Again, one of these his athleticism is so good, you know, question, does that mean he hasn't had to work very hard? Because it's been so easy for him at every single level. I think as he silenced a lot of critics last year, especially in that the second half, wasn't it, where he actually was improving. He didn't hit a rookie wall. Like he was getting better as the season wore on, which I think was the most encouraging thing to your point. And uh, yeah, there's just, I just, you just root. I'm rooting for the Minnesota, anything positive to happen in Minnesota they've got another train wreck of a front office and train wreck ownership transitions. You just, that poor fan base, what they've lived through with KG jumping ship and Kevin Love jumping ship and everything swirling around, around Cat and the skepticism around Anthony Edwards. I'm just in the trade of Wiggins, as you mentioned, you know, for this, for Russell. Um, I'm just hoping for that fan base, if nothing else, that Edwards, Edwards pops and takes a leap and yeah, and does just well, they're, they're real often talked about worth going to watch. Yeah. They're often talked about as a Ben Simmons location as well. That, that they would be one of the top two or three candidates, I think, for Ben Simmons at this point. Um, so that you know, that's probably something to look out for. Whether that's going to fit with with Anthony Edwards or not, I don't know. But mm, yeah. um, but that's probably certainly it would raise their ceiling for this season. But um, but he is honestly of all the players in the league, I'm looking forward to watching come this this start of this season he's right at the top of the list for me because 
I think it was one of those things last year where he, he had a game, I think, where he scored like 30 points. He went, oh, that's nice for him. But, you know, it's probably just a flash in the pan. And then he just he kept scoring in the 20s and was really you know, reasonably efficient, you know, all bird on a bad team. But they started winning games. So it wasn't just empty stats um, for a bad team. It was actually contributing to some winning um, that the team did. So if, if him and, and Towns can still stay healthy and stay on the court together this year, I think there could be something exciting happening in Minnesota. Well, another player to watch, Daz, if you want to sneak in, I mentioned his name earlier, if you want a sneaky um, rookie of the year, but look at James Booknight. I think he's going to put up numbers in Charlotte, and I think Charlotte are going to be another good uh, league pass team. But I think him and Lamelo and Rogier, that's going to be a really exciting backcourt. And Booknight's just a, a, a gunner that's going to come in and, and try and be scoring um, big big points. And I think he's going to put up some numbers there in Charlotte that that might sort of give him some some buzz for rookie of the year, depending on how the the guys at the top end um, are sort of scoring night to night. He's a real athlete, isn't he? He's kind of like a half miles bridges half kobe white is what i remember about book night it's kind of springy well and they're going to get up and down the court he's going to get you know in in transition he's going to be getting open looks and he's going to be able to attack the rim as as most of them will uh, in that sort of those lineups that they like to throw out there uh the hornets when they're running and gunning with lamello so he's going to be really exciting i think he's a he's a guy to watch out for because i'm not convinced someone I think in terms of this rookie class, I think Cunningham's obviously the guy that's going to, I think he's going to be a contributor at Detroit straight away. But um, I've sort of seen some stuff um, from, was Jalen Green. Green. Yeah, and, and Mobley sort of, you know, has been okay. But I'm not convinced either of those guys are going to put up massive numbers. Um, it's their team. So you might be looking at guys a little bit further down the draft um, that, that put up some numbers for that rookie of the year. Um, rookie of the year well, that's, gone. Yeah, that's why I was going to sneak in and one of my guys and it'll be hard because it's going to be hard to watch this team, but Josh Giddy, who's not rooting for Josh Giddy, right? And, you know, his um, Lamello sort of more like Lonzo-ish type of game, this big, rangy, playmaking, confident, cocky kind of player. And again, he's playing in exile in OKC, but um, the one preseason game I did see, he looked bloody spectacular, Daz. He's obviously healed from his ankle sprain, which he got in Vegas a couple months back. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's yeah. worth noting that he put up better numbers and was certainly a better contributor in the NBL than what LaMelo Ball was. Now, admittedly, he was on a better team within the NBL. Uh, but the thing about him is I, I sort of said to the people as I was watching him is he was tall Ricky Rubio. So following on from tall talking about Rubio just then, he's a guy that... His first, second, third option is to pass. You know, he just doesn't want to. He doesn't want to shoot, or it, it's just not something that, that sort of comes into him. Whether it's just because he's not a confident shooter, or whether that's that's sort of the parts of his game he's want to develop. We'll wait and see. But he's so tall, as and he's has that ability. And, and Giannis has obviously been the key to this, and, and Luka Doncic does as well, where they can sort of see over the defense. And that's what sort of helps their passing. Um, so that's where he's really good. I, I think OKC are going to be quite frisky to start the season. It wouldn't surprise me if they sort of hovered around 500 till just after Christmas when, you know, again, you expect those young teams to hit the wall. But I agree with you on Giddy. I think Giddy's going to be, of all the, the rookies to watch, I think people are sleeping on just how entertaining this kid's going to be. Yeah, he could be this year's Mello, LaMelo, couldn't he? Just in terms of highlight reel, 
you know, more like chalk, you know, white chocolate. What was his name? White chocolate thunder. What was Jason Williams' nickname? Yeah, white chocolate. White chocolate. Yeah, Daryl Dawkins is chocolate thunder. He's white chocolate. Yeah, just that highlight reel passing, playmaking, crazy, unpredictable, just savanty sort of play from from Giddy. I can't wait, actually, mate. And you're right, he's legit. Again, he's legit tall. He's not he's not actually six five, listed as six eight. He's legit long. Mm-hmm. He's gotta be at least six seven, doesn't he? And he's and he's long armed and he's yeah, he's just got that vision. I'm actually um, surprised that no, like when I was listening to a lot of the draft analysis, not that many people were that high on him. And it was a bit surprising to me, given what I would have thought well, after what Lamella did, people would have taken more notice of what's happening here in Australia in the NBL um, in the season. And the fact that it, that it can translate. And here's a guy that played even better in the NBL than what, um, than what Lamella did. So I was a bit surprised that people weren't as, as high on that pick. Uh, I thought it was a very good pick for OKC, where they got him. Yeah. What I found really weird, I remember Gideon, I just pulled it up because I remember reading it and going, that's not what I saw. Again, I'm not the expert. The ringer had him as 12th in their draft guide. He was obviously picked sixth, which was a surprise to many people. They go shades of Joe Ingles and Kyle Anderson. I'm like, what? I go, Joe Ingles and Kyle Anderson. I go, he's not a forward, though. He doesn't. (laughs) Like he's not, he's not catching shoot guy like Ingles or a, you know like that switchy Anderson isn't he more again like a Rubio isn't he a playmaker Daz? Well, he's a playmaker. Wrong? I mean, Carl Anderson's had some playmaking as well. I think they're sort of talking about the speed at which he he's not the fastest guy um, in the on the court, and he sort of has this sort of oh, slower, the more deliberate style. But very, oh, very high IQ. That's the and that's shades of yeah, okay. that's where the Ingalls and, and Kyle Anderson, the very high IQ, bit slower. As I said, Rubio's more the guy because I've seen Rubio that many times and you think you've got to start taking that shot. And he just he, his instinct is always to pass and find the open man. And you know, Rubio's always sort of, I think, preferred to get a beautiful assist than, than hit a step back three. And I feel like not that that's necessarily been his game, but I feel like that's going to be the same thing with Josh Giddy uh, as well. Yeah. Okay. 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 But anyway, I'm I'm excited to watch um, at least the highlights. I probably won't. I'll be honest. I'm not probably going to watch full OKC games in the first quarter. You know, on a night against Minnesota or something. But um, I'm excited yeah. for him. The final guy I want to talk about before we move to the league pace is Michael Porter Jr. You know I've been a big fan of this kid. Mm. Uh, could he average 24 points a game across this season? He, he quite possibly could. He certainly picked up the slack after Jamal Murray went down. This is his chance. Uh, playing for a contract as well. Um, I'm expecting big things out of him, Des. Yeah, and it, it just boggles the mind if you just stop and look at the numbers. A guy who shot I don't have it in front of me at the moment. 40, 45%, 45% mm. on how many how many attempts on high volume, right? I go, the confidence that that shows. And if he can start to open up again, that he can attack closeouts uh, and do more movement off the ball, he's going to have, my goodness, the opportunity he's going to have playing next to, jo- to Jokic out there. And it's well, I never thought how- I'd see a more beautiful shooter than Michael Red, but um, in terms of the, <laughs> the, the the fluidity of the stroke. Flick. And yeah. uh, I think Porter Jr.'s got him, got him boot, Daz. Um, he's just unbelievable. The, the, the way he shoots, the, the effortless 
the effortlessness of of his shot. It's for flick, um, yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So I love watching him play. I just think he's a, and I think his defense has gotten better too. He's he, this. He really tries. Like he's a, he gets out there and he's a guy that you can tell is working on his game um, away from the court. Um, so I, I'm I'm high on him. I'm rooting for him. I hope he has a big year, um, particularly after coming back from the horrific injuries that he had. Um, and yeah. don't sleep, Daz, on Bol Bol at uh, Denver either. <laughs> I can't stand Bol Bol. He's just twisting the knife. I God, I'd rather watch Johnny O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, he's back in Bucks camp. Yes. <laughs> I am watching Johnny O'Brien. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, look, I'm league? just, I'm just rooting. I'm rooting, rooting for Denver as well. I just, you want good team for Jamal Murray, such a good dude, and Jokic is such a good dude. I'm just kind of just rooting for them in a subtle way. Just good dudes out there. But um, well, give yeah. me a league pass, times, Daz. I mean, maybe you're, you're one in each. You're conference. never gonna guess it. You're never gonna guess it. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the Sacramento Kings. I'm looking forward to. A normal offseason where they didn't have Bogdan, a normal offseason where the team didn't sign a Bielitsa and miss out on Dante and sign bloody, um, um, what's his face, Hassan Whiteside at the last second. I'm looking for what's been a normal offseason, um, Halliburton taking another step forward in his leadership, Rashawn Holmes getting paid like a grown up, um, the steady Eddie, never talk about him. 15 and 8 every night, Harrison Barnes, and this electric backcourt combination between Fox, the rugged dog, defensive player of the year candidate 2025, Davion Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton, and, and properly having Buddy Heal just, if he can put a, a cork in it and just come off the bench and gun, I'm actually looking forward to that team running up and down the court and that, mm. that guard-heavy lineup doing fun running things in De'Aaron Fox way. I love De'Aaron Fox, probably in the way you love um, Michael Porter Jr. Just love the way he plays with fire in his hair. And it's hard not to fall in love with a guy like Davion Mitchell who's like micro Drew Holiday. Just an opposite. Like they're perfect, I think. They're perfect complementary type players to each other. And then Halliburton also such as a unique character. Give me Sacramento. Give me run and gun. Give me guard heavy offenses. Give me no nonsense yeoman, you know, bigs like Tristan Thompson and, and Rashawn Holmes cleaning up and just doing work, you know, doing the hard work and doing the hard yards. Kings, Daz. Yeah. I want to watch the Kings. Well, let me let me prick that balloon because <laughs> wow. um I, I I wish they had have changed their coach because Luke Walton has not been a run and gun coach. And we expected them to play run and gun. That's how they played under Doyaga. Why they sacked Dave Yeager, I still don't know. It's one of the biggest mysteries of, of the, only Sacramento could do it. Yeah, I would have loved to have moved on from Luke Walton. Luke Walton had this team playing in molasses last year for reasons unknown to anyone. Um, I agree with you. I think if, if, if I thought, yep, they're going to go out and run and gun, I think Dave Mitchell's going to come in and contribute straight away. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't love that draft pick for this team because I'm not sure why you necessarily want a player that's going to come in and play straight away. Maybe they could have gone a higher upside guy, but he'll he'll certainly be good. Harrison Barnes is Mr. Reliable, etc. They're another team now I could see getting in the built the Ben Simmons mix 
um, and bringing Ben Simmons in. So that's probably something to watch for this team. But mm. I, I can't be there with you, Daz. I'm sorry. I was, I was excited for this team when Luke Walton went there because I sort of thought Walton's just going to maybe bring him the next level up from what Jaeger had them at, and it just didn't happen. Um, so that's uh, okay, Daz. That's okay. That's all right. I'll I'll send you the clips. That's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch. I just love Fox. I love Halliburton's brain. I just just it's such a unique combination. Those three, and even if you include Heald, four such radically different players, like almost no overlapping skill sets. That's what I kind of love about a team like Sacramento, who's so historically just done overlapping skill after overlapping skill, especially the bigs. I just like the fact that there's some competent looks like some competent roster building happening and the Walton stuff not standing. I just, I'm just buddy healed shoot 45% from 35 feet. I, I like that. I just like that. I just don't want him to be thinking he's the alpha. Well, who's yours? So who's you giving want, your league pass? Well, if you want run and gun, let me, let me take you down into the Texas area of the U S to a team by the name of San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> I don't. Who... <laughs> no. Have said they're going to play at the fastest pace in the league this year. Uh, now I think that's probably going a bit too far, but they're certainly going to be a, one of the faster teams. The only way that this team will not be able to score in the half court, so the only way they're going to be able to score <laughs> is by running. And I think you're going to have Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, Dejounte Murray, uh, all these guys just attacking the rim. They've got a really good Australian guy in, in Jock Landau there. Uh, you know, I think Derek White's going to, you know, have a decent year again this year. You know, they've got some some good um, uh, veterans there in Doug McDermott, Thad Young. I think don't sleep on the Zach, uh, Zach Collins comeback year, Daz. I know you're a big Zach Collins guy. <laughs> Check out the San Antonio Spurs. Honestly, I think they're going to be a, a, an entertaining team to watch. Uh, night tonight, and I, I think Dejounte Murray could have um, Dejounte or Kelton. They're the two you got to watch. I think that could break really out make, a, make break a breakout. But outside of look, outside of my own team, um, I, I, look, I, I touched on Minnesota earlier. I think they're going to be a good team to watch. The Dallas are going to be good to watch at the press conferences. Um, that's going to be yes. fun to watch after the game. Uh, but in terms of look, in terms of um, teams to watch, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how Portland uh, that that sort of team meshes yeah. together right from the start. So I think from I'm not sure they're necessarily going to be the most entertaining team in the league, but from just a basketball analysis point of view, see how this team, which I agree with your point, I think finally they got a, a starting five that fits together, and they got a little bit of stuff coming off the bench. How does what what sort of range? How does Chauncey Billups get this team playing? And um, so, sort of, I guess from an interest point of view, it's Portland. I think San Antonio. I'm, I'm being serious. I really think San Antonio are going to be entertaining this year. Um, and I think Minnesota are the other team that I would say I think are going to be more entertaining than people think um, in that league. And finally, OKC okay, so with Josh Giddy. There's going to be some real highlights there um, for him across the season. What about the East? Yeah. What? Who's your league yeah. last team in the East? I think. Look, I, I'm still going to go with Charlotte just because of Lamelo, uh, Miles Bridges' explosiveness. Your point about Book Knight. I think that team's going to run and play loose and play free as always. Um, a little bit of we've seen seen it last year, but it's going to be hard not to enjoy them on a, kind of any given Sunday. 
any given night of the week. So Charlotte, even though we sort of seen that chapter last year, pure curiosity factor, Daz, I'm going to watch the Bulls. I just want to see, perhaps that's the way you describe, maybe Portland and Chicago are the two teams I'm most curious to see how they actually play together. So I'm mm. probably curious about the Bulls. Um, I'll get to see them plenty, obviously, in the division. We play the division rivals a lot this year, Daz. Um, so I'll get to see a lot of them firsthand through the Bucks' eyes. And look, I know they've had a huge amount of continuity, but I want to see Atlanta. Mm. I want to see if this team can back it up. And can John Collins play with this, you know, did he just get the big contract in the offseason? He did, yeah. didn't he? He just got extended, you know, what that's going to do for him if he get that monkey off his back and, and um, you know, Capella, if he's ever can stay healthy. Anyway, you know all the names of the players, but just want to see, can Trey kind of turn around what was a really inefficient season, Daz? You know, Trey Young, mm. shockingly, is a below NBA average three-point shooter. Did you know that? He shoots below league average. Well, I said that at the start. I said, I think there's actually some room, yeah. room for improvement with, with Trey, which people probably don't think given I, I think that they made right. that, that run. I think he yeah. can improve his free throw shooting and he can improve uh, his three-point shooting. So yeah. um, there's no doubt that there's improvement there. That They're certainly my number one league pass team in there. I think they're going to reach another level from what they did last year, certainly yeah. in the regular season. Um, yeah. From a, Let me throw another term. I think Indiana is going to be an interesting one to watch early in the season. New coach there, Rick Carlisle. Um, do they get, what do they get from Levert? Can he come back in? Because he actually played okay for them um, when he came back from injury last year. So what do they get from him? TJ Warren comes back as well for that team. So that's a team that actually could surprise and, and sort of be better, particularly offensively, than I think people uh, probably give them credit for. It's just what, how do they hold up um, on the defensive end might be the big question. Yeah, for Indiana, yes, I think but, that's fair. Um, but I'm fascinated to see how Rick Carlisle plays there um, because it's, it's, it's not really like the, the roster that he had at Dallas. So it's going to be a different, um, a different story there in terms yeah. of how they go about it. So they're going to be an interesting team to watch, if not necessarily the most entertaining team um, in the league. But in terms of just entertainment factor, I think you've got Atlanta, Charlotte's obviously up there again. I think Chicago are going to score plenty of points. Um you know, and I, and I think there's going to be terms like San Antonio and OKC, particularly early in the yeah. season, that they're going to be playing a fast sort of upbeat pace. Uh, but you wonder what's going to happen when the losses start piling up for both of those teams. Um, you know, where, what sort of directions yeah. that they go um, as a franchise. So, but look, there's plenty to look forward to um, for this season. So we might try and um, do this as regular as we can. Uh, as the season gets closer and once we get into it. So I think we're about two weeks away at the moment um, from, from starting the season where our, our fantasy drafts ground to a halt over the weekend. I think we've had like two picks across the, across the weekend, which is... <laughs> well, I've got my full roster having all, all those trades. My roster is full already, I think. So I'm, I don't mind. Yeah, you, but, uh, you can just sit back yeah. at the moment. But um, yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, but no, my team always... Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Well, yeah, I think your team is a bit, bit more upside than, than my team for this year. We're in rebuilding mode uh, at the moment, but we'll see um, how it all sort of plays out. I just need a, a few guys to pop. I was hoping to get Josh Giddy, but uh, an ex-guest on this podcast, I stole him from under my nose um, with the <laughs> last pick. So 
We'll see. I might have to talk trade between Mobley and uh, and Josh Giddy, but we'll see what happens there. Um, Daz. So, uh, well, look, I mean, in ten you, days, Daz. It's it's only ten days, actually. Ten days from season tip off: Bucks, Nets, Lakers, Warriors. Well, I think that's, everyone's talking about Bucks, Spurs, actually, um, and that's the that's the game on the be, weekend. It should be, which should be that's an it, absolute ball terror of a game. Yeah, uh, Daz, Daz versus Daz. <laughs> that's they right. play twice early. They play twice early in the season, don't they? Yeah, so that'll be no idea what to expect out of that. But uh, well, yeah, I have, can't I wait. Have a, we're back. Yeah, I have a bit back. of a sense what to expect, and it might not be very good, but we'll see. <laughs> Collins v. Antetokounmpo. Everyone's yeah. waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dad. Good to talk to you again, mate. We'll take care, and we'll uh, we'll we'll talk again either just before the season tips off or just after. All the best, buddy. See you Thanks, soon. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. Took the charge, and there was no foul call.